This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and West L.A. They're created by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission, to create a treatment center that works with principles of compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders, including the dread SMI. They make sure your detox is as comfortable as possible, which is critical. My friends who have been there can't say enough. Newsweek said they were like top five rehabs in the world. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, equine therapy, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge. You know what I'm talking about. If you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I cannot suggest going to Oro enough. Check them out at ororecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at Soberlink. Each and every person in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for recovery. Maybe it's a husband, wife, daughter, son, mom, dad, best friend, colleague, job, hobby, or just yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery, we're all in this together. On Dopey, our mission includes building a strong community, the importance of staying connected, working to break the stigma, and other dumb shit, as you guys know. That's why we've partnered with Soberlink to expand and strengthen our community even further. Not to mention Chris used Soberlink, so I felt very close to this company. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip or a relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help rebuild trust and foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery through an online forum where people can read and share their recovery stories. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at www.soberlink.com dopey. This week's episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our good friends at Your Sober Buddy. What is Your Sober Buddy? It is an amazing app that helps you to get and stay sober. It is also a blue fluffy guy you might have seen on social media. Sober Buddy is like having a sober buddy in your pocket. It's an app on your phone that uses cognitive behavioral therapy to help you, you know, have a better life. I use the Sober Buddy app like every day in some way or another. I do the challenges. I feel good about myself. There is a clean tracker, a sober tracker that's 100% free. And every day I look at the sober tracker and I see I have thousands of days. And I remember in the beginning, I would have loved to have seen that I had, you know, three days or one day or tens of days. Your sober buddy is an experience that, that makes sobriety more fun and it, it helps maintain sobriety. So go to YourSoberBuddy.com, go to the the app store or the Google play store. The sober tracker is free. Download it, post your clean time, enjoy your clean time, enjoy your sober time and let your sober buddy help you.
This episode of Dopey is also brought to you guys by Mobilize Recovery. It was started by my friend Ryan Hampton. It is an amazing cause that's going national this September, and it's a project really close to my heart. It's a nonprofit organization and a way for you to pitch in and help end overdose and addiction in America. There's a way for everyone to get involved. There is no cost. There is no hidden agenda. It's incredible. Mobilize Recovery is all about you, our community, and what we can be doing together to inspire recovery solutions all across the United States. Here is Ryan Hampton. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Hampton recovery advocate and founder of Mobilize Recovery. And I'm jumping on with Dopey today because we need you to help end overdose and addiction and inspire solutions for recovery across the United States. This September, the nonprofit initiative Mobilize Recovery is launching a national bus tour in partnership with iHeartMedia and Google. And we want to learn what your community, your organization, and your projects are doing to mobilize for change. Help us map the journey across the country. Learn more today at mobilizerecovery.org and submit your ideas to us. There's so many ways for you to get involved and to help us highlight the recovery experience that is so unique in different regions across all 50 states. Go to mobilizerecovery.org to learn more and to help us map this journey. And I hope we get to meet so many of you this coming September during National Recovery Month. Before we get to the show, I wanted to remind you guys to sign up for Patreon. Any support is incredibly helpful in making Dopey as dopey as possible. Two bucks a month gets you in on every level um, in terms of free content. Five bucks gets you into the Dopey Patreon Zoom, which is incredibly fun. Ten bucks gets you exclusive content and stickers. And fifteen bucks gets you uh, socks. Or if you really wanted a hat, I'd give you a hat. Also, DopeyCon tickets are only available right now on Patreon. Uh, we have about 200 tickets. We're selling them on Patreon. Uh, we're going to keep them up there for this week on Patreon. And if they sell out, they sell out. There's like 500 patrons. So join Patreon. Fucking hell. It helps make Dopey happy, joyous, and free. And... Buy some shit at DopeyPodcast.com. We've got amazing merchandise. Everybody loves Dopey merch. Don't be a square. Buy Dopey merch. I hope you guys are well. Also, follow us on YouTube for Howie because Howie needs support. Also, leave reviews. Leave reviews. Give five stars and here's the show. <laughs> And welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. This is one of the the only epi first episode I think where first episode Fentanyl J up in the Dopey room. The Dopey stew. I feel like my mic sounds like I'm screaming from a distance. How do you think it sounds? Talk. Check. Check. How do you think it sounds? I think it sounds good. Maybe I want it louder. That's maybe that's better. It's a little clearer. Fuck it. Um, yo, so you want to hear some interesting news? Let's hear it. We were asked, I was asked to play Sayville Summerfest. What do you mean? It, with a band. No way. Like a slot on the street. On the stage. On the street, I think. 
the sucky street slot. The little South Main Street. Yeah, and you know who I was going to get to play with me? Who? Fucking Doug from the beach. He shreds. Have you seen him play? No, I've heard he shreds. Though. Yeah, I think he. I think he's. He's a. Uh, I think. I'm Bro, not, Sable Summerfest. Sable Summerfest. Yo, you made it. I'm not doing it. No. I don't think so. I think I check you out. I know, but you're too kind. I think it's too. I, I don't. I think it's coming fast. And I wanna be good so bad. Maybe you should. I should sing. Maybe you should be the singer, <laughs> and you can you can invite all the young people to come see you. I think I'd be good. Jay, just so you guys, if you guys were wondering what Jay's meeting attendance has been like since he's been on this on the show, it's zero. Zero. He's cured. <laughs> there was a lot of a lot of email, a lot of comments. I mean, one thing that Jay has going for him is he's not on social media, but there was a bit of social media about you not being cured. Oh, sick. Then there was some other social media about you shouted out my dad while he was on the phone. Mm-hmm. And Scott Wick, who's a dopey OG, shout mm-hmm. out to Scott Wick. Big uh, shout out. Says you don't shout out people when they're actually on the phone. <laughs> He didn't like Scott that. Scott Wick is right, dude. He, uh, he's coming. He's coming hard. This is embarrassing. Uh, is it an embarrassing moment? This is embarrassing. So, so Jay, it's been a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Why, why don't you catch the Dopey Nation up on what you've been doing? You know, vibing, thriving, and surviving, you know? All right, so break it down. So, really, I, 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 I work a lot. Oh, shit. It's not cluttered in here. <laughs> I know. I, I, I had Jay come in here. It's fucking... It's really not There's good. stuff everywhere. It's like everybody else put stuff in here. Like it's like the room, the Harry Potter room of requirements. Yeah, or something. Um, that's they, not what it's called. Yes, it is. The room of requirements? Yeah, it's the room of requirements. Are you sure? Dude, I'm a fucking nerd. I'm a big Potter fan. Not big enough, my friend. <laughs> Yo, is it's, that what it's, it's called? It's the room of requirements. Requirement. Because it's it's where I'm if you require... Yeah, Google it. I'm Googling um, it right now. But I was going to ask what you were up to, but do you want to hear the horrible shit I've gotten into this last weekend? Yes. All right. So on Friday... I worked from home. Fuck. Yeah, what is it called, Jay? <laughs> Do you think Shit. I would come up with something like the room of requirement? I wrote, what is the Harry Potter room that makes things appear? <laughs> and what does it say? It is officially... Yes. What? Officially what, Jay? It is officially... The room of requirement. The room of requirement. I knew that. You did, but... I, you fr- I, <laughs> the other day, me and me and Nora and Susan were driving out to my friend's house in the Hamptons. Okay. And me and Nora used to listen to all the Harry Potter books. Listen? Shout, shout out to Jim Dale, who's a crazy audio... He reads the book and he does all the voices. Oh, big shout out to Jim. He is... Inc- shout out to Nora. He's incredibly talented, Jim Dale. I used to, in a, when I lived in Los Angeles, and I was, you know, 30, 31, 32, 30 to 35, I think I was there, <laughs> I, I would go to the library, just so you're clear, and wow. I would rent the Harry Potter audiobooks on CD. Wow. Then I would get high on heroin and drive around listening. Bumping Harry Potter. <laughs> bumping Harry Potter. Can you imagine... <laughs> Getting into car crashes, listening to the Harry Potter audiobook. Like, that was my Yo. thing. So when Nora was, like, four or five, I was like, let's listen to Harry Potter yeah. audiobooks. And she was like, I don't know what I'm listening to. She's too young. But I was like, this is good. This and I'd is have the euphoric, stuff right here. Euphoric recall, listening to the Harry driving Potter. Driving around. Exactly. And then, so the other day, we were driving to the Yo, Hamptons. you heard that new Potter, bro? Yo, that shit is fire. <laughs> Um, but so we're driving around and I, we, I wanted Susan to hear it. We put it on and Nora's like, this is great. Cause she forgot what the first one yeah. was. And, uh, and we turn around and Susan's just passed out. She couldn't, <laughs> she couldn't handle it at all. Jim Dale didn't keep her, uh, dude, 
And I, I know you're not going to listen to the Harry Potter audiobook. I read the books. I read the books too. I read the first three books in, in public detox. And it was like, it couldn't be better. Yeah. I read them in jail. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Read the first books in jail. Because yeah. it's such morality yeah. shit, right? It's good. It's feel good shit. Let's get back to catching up with Fentanyl J. Oh, yeah. Hi. What's been going on? I just work a lot, man. And I've been going to the beach a lot. Long Island out here is pretty paradise in the it's summer. It's nice in the summer. Let me ask you this. This is the the second summer you've been sober on Long Island. Mm, first. So in, in since you were 12, 11. Yep, first. So break it down. How has it been? What kind of life are you living? It's Yo, this might be my best year ever. Right? It literally might be. Why? I've had some don't, good years. And, don't, and don't be, you know, be don't real. Be, be real. <laughs> be real. Legit? Yeah. It, this could be my best year ever. Uh, What's it like experiencing normal shit with a not fucked up head? It's, it's fucking, it's good. It's all good stuff. I mean, I'm fucking working, which isn't the best thing ever. But it's been pretty good for you. It's, it's as good as it can be, you know? Like, it'd be great if I had a lot of money and I didn't have to work. Well, what the f you'd be using. You'd probably like true. dealing as a hobby. True, true, true. true. If you had money and you didn't have to work, it's needing the money <laughs> that makes work so sweet because you can make a lot of money doing. It's true. Jay, Jay does high end waitering. <laughs> in a high, no, but you do. He's like low end. High, it's just like what I did. It kind of is. Low, low end, end, high, high end, end waitering. Yeah. Like crazy business. Play also Patchogue is at night is like where like live like it's like where Pinocchio and the the, the people got exiled and they became donkeys yeah that, yeah it's bad yeah, over there at night yeah well it's live yeah it gets a little dude f day one in the restaurant day one my my the owners were like oh they have all these guppy uh locations like Woodbury like you know what's guppy I don't know like fucking like you go like this you know are you like, trying to say yuppie or is guppy a thing uh, I, I just made it a thing I like it a guppy. guppy yeah I've People said are guppy like before I, well I'm, I'm with you I think yeah it's like guppy you know yuppie yeah but guppy but sounds like, like, like it's like Nora called we were watching Stranger Things last night and great. Nora called somebody jits or something jit yeah nor yeah <laughs> so guppy could be like a jit kind of thing no jit is like uh that's like a young kid right like this jit over here yeah it's like some future <laughs> shit over here it's big in in florida and broward that doesn't sound good it's like what my, is that my, what broward that's the desk wobble oh, okay <laughs> that's my desk needing an extra foot so you're so what describe patchog the liveliness of patchog so to the dopey they, nation they Got there. There, there. You saw all these guppy restaurants, gup, guppy areas. Right? Did you just establish this term? It I just, just came, it's good. It's legit. I right? think people. I think it could catch on. It's legit. Yes. Yeah. So these guppy fucks all yes, had sir. all these guppy areas, yeah. and they and they came and they're like they were so afraid to go to Patchogue. because they're from Nassau and they don't have any in Suffolk, and they're like, yo, we're afraid to come to Patchogue. And um, day one, oh, a soft opening, not like open, but not like advertised not like crazy opening just like opened for the first weekend dude comes in there fucking shit-faced like probably off the street you know like shit-faced uh security guard tries throwing him out boom smashes the whole front door and gl broken glass everything the owners were like mortified and we're like yeah 
patch hog. Welcome to patch hog. It's the wild west. <laughs> Welcome to patch hog, dude. You know? And at night, it's like, dude, it's, it's and we've got like, us, like repeat offenders we see like up and down the street. Like one dude, definitely, you know, on the streets. Like got prettied up one day, came in, ran up a bar tab, ran out, and we see him all the time. We see him, you know. Navigating the he streets. He didn't get the the DT beat down. No, he didn't. No, he didn't catch it. He just ran out. But but also now we have outdoor seatings, right? So I've got dudes going up to the outdoor tables, like asking them for money for beer, and buy, asking them to buy them beer. I was like, that's fucking. I was like, dude, you gotta leave. <laughs> it's like homeless people are like, can you spare a shot of vodka? Yeah, please? I was like, bro, you you gotta leave. <laughs> like, and has anything ever anything bad ever transpired? Not yet. Patchog feels dirty. It's, like at night. It's not savely. It's like though. it doesn't feel like nice and savely. It's not savely at all. So so like why has this been your best year ever, Jay? It's been my best year ever. Well Is it weird to say that or do you is. feel comfortable uh, saying no, it? No, I don't feel comfortable saying it. Because like I've had some years, but like as good as my other years have been, they were really bad sometimes too. This one's been the most steady stable. Eddie. Right. Like steady year. You know, like whatever. Work sucks. Yeah, that's what. But every do. every dollar you make, you made. You know what I mean. That doesn't make me feel good. I don't mean it like that. <laughs> I mean like, you make better money than most of your friends, and 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 you do it in high speed style. True. So okay, so that doesn't make you feel good. No. So what makes you feel good? I'm just like. Why is it good? I think it's like all like new good people and like good energy. You know, it's not like. I was a degenerate, you know, I was, it's like, feels, it's feel good. It's, you know, what do you say? You say it feels weird. It probably feels weird because you love your degenerate pride. Yeah. but And here you are saying it's been a better year because you're not doing the degenerate shit. Yeah. That's probably why it feels weird. Right. It's interesting. But wait, what do you, you, you say something like, what do I say? It's all happening. Uh, not, no. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? What else do I say? <laughs> it's something like. It's not do the next right thing, but you do say that. Well, it's, I would say what they say. Yeah, I repeat what I they say something else like uh, do good, feel good. No, I don't no, know. you did the thing that I say is when you do esteemable things, esteemable things, and you yeah. get self esteem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do esteemable. Do you actions. see what's yeah. happening here? Yeah. This is becoming like a real recovery show. Yo, that's fucked. I don't feel good about that. Not gonna not lie. With <laughs> not gonna lie, Dave. Do I started I wanna... listening to the podcast. I was talking. I was at, Linda was on last week, and I told her that you started listening to the show. Yeah, from episode one. How much did you, what'd you get to episode three? Three. Yes. Yeah. Which, is the and, second, and which happens to be the second episode. <laughs> <laughs> They're like shorter in the beginning. I could really fly through it, but I also listened to some random new ones. So you what know? was your impression of Chris? Cool dude. That's, yo, sad. Yes. Very sad. Yes. Very sad. And um, you guys were super close. Well, we became... Did you guys get high together? No. Never. We never got high oh, together. Oh, because since you started the show, you never got high. Yeah, I haven't. I mean, is it weird to hear me with four months? Yeah. Or is it the same? Fucking weird. It's not the same? No, it's not the same. It's much different? Yeah. What's if it this like? show is... Out, no, let me do the voice. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would just not do it. If this <laughs> show ever becomes about recovery, I quit. Do you know when <laughs> you need a new host. Do you know when people meet me, they're surprised I'm not like the biggest nerd they've ever met? Because I think my voice on the show, it's... 
way nerdier, especially your impression of me. That was not if, bad. If I sound like that, I'm quitting doing the show. <laughs> it's over. But so listen, I you was, need a new co-host. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna start the show with a real mild-mannered middle-class story about a lemonade stand. But since this has all been so recovery, and the last three times Jay was on the show, I was like, dude, you got to tell the story about when you burned your father's house oh, down, and we never did it. Yeah, true. I think we should just set it off with the, the Wicked Fire Dopey wicked shit fire in the dopey. front. But before we do, just want to say, first of all, thank you for coming. It's beautiful, it's beautiful to have you here. Dave. And, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and secondly, I want to say Josh Peck is on the show. Shout out to Josh Pack. And you, I mean, like, you were so excited that he was coming. Hug me, brother. You didn't say it. No, I didn't say it. I didn't didn't know what to say. Um, But it's exciting. Josh Pack, a big Nickelodeon star. Star. You know, Instagram. My childhood. YouTube fucking. Sensation. Sensation. So that's exciting. Um, You know, I'm going to read an email, too, before before we get into the the crazy fire land. I'm going to read a dopey email because it's always good to read a dopey email. Oh, before I even... Dope, 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 dope. Dopey, dopey, dope. You should put that one on with Josh Peck. Nickelodeon star. We don't have that. We just made that. Okay, we just did it. So we'll do that before we put them on. Sick. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but October 1st is DopeyCon. And you're slated to be at DopeyCon. Slated. Put it on the calendar. It's in. Where is it? It's uh, at the Church of the Holy Apostles Sick. on 28th Street and 9th Avenue in Manhattan. Fitting. Catered by Katz's Deli. No. 40 bucks a ticket. Tickets right now are only available on Dopey Patreon. They went on sale 24 hours ago. Guess how many tickets we sold? How many? 50. Really? Yeah. Quick. Quick. 24 hours ago? Yes. Not bad. I know Ian wants to come. So he needs a, he needs buy tell, a ticket. He yeah. should join Dopey, Dopey Patreon. Dopey Patreon. Do, I'm just going to say this. Dopey Patreon, for $2 a month, you get fucking a shitload of extra Dopey. That's like really? 12 cents a day. Plus, you get access to Dopey DopeyCon, which just might sell out. $2 a month? You could do it for that. If you're cheap, you do $2 a month. Wow. That's very inexpensive. Yeah, you can. Yeah, we can handle that. You could do $2 a day and not feel that. <laughs> and I'm talking about a month. It's crazy. So you go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Sign up if you want to come to DopeyCon. So far, some of the acts include Fentanyl J. Shout out. Smiling Joe. I'm here. I can't say that. You, Fuck. Smiling Joe. Ooh, shout out Smiling Joe. For sure. Uh, my dad. Shout out your dad. Linda. Love her. Shout out, uh, what's her face? Aaron Carr is going to be there. Shout out, what's her face? Aaron Carr. Aaron. She's a, a novelist or a memoirist and oh, and an advice columnist. I need some. And she was an elite equestrian in her youth, horseback rider. I knew that. I know. Um, <laughs> fucking Brandon Novak. Skater. Andy Roy. Skater. Perhaps Dr. Drew. No. Maybe Dr. Drew can treat you at DopeyCon. I need some. Some serious serious Dr. Drew treatment. Uh, So sign up for Patreon. Buy a ticket to DopeyCon. It's going to be, but more important than all of those phenomenal people, it's the Dopey Nation. Dave's going to be there. More important than all those phenomenal people. No, the Dopey Nation. A coming together. A gathering of the tribes. The Dopey Tribes. You're looking at your phone. It's I'm not, not you. It, the, the, all the energy gets sucked out of. Give me the phone. Give me. <laughs> Wait, am I in it. class? That's it. You, you can vape, but you can't phone. Okay. They, my, my phone, what are you? What? I, I'm flipping you my phone over. Just... I'm just flipping it over. Just trying to keep it above board over here. <laughs> so are you excited for Dopey? Cam? I am. It's going to be sick. Can't I wait. cannot tell you how excited I am. It's going to be like 
that the reunion catered by Katz's catered by Katz's and Jose is going to cut the meat at DopeyCon. That's legit. Like in front of you. That's legit. It's all happening. That's it's all happening. It's all happening. Now, um, we, we had meant to do this thing last time. So we're going to do it now. So bear with me for one second. I got an incredible fucking, uh, voice message a long time ago from this dude. Uh, and you'll be able to guess where he's from. Hold on. Yo, what's up, Dave? Um, I'm calling you because fucking um, I was just gonna ask you. I I don't think so, but I want, I was wondering if that if that if your if your homie that 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 Jewish food that was trying to um sell you the podcast uh, things like the microphones if you still had them because I'm down to buy them. But yeah, like I I fucking um. I'm a fucking big fan of the Dopamination. <laughs> I listen to like three episodes a day. You guys are funny. Damn, like rest in peace, Chris. Like, damn. Fuck. I, that's fucked up, man. Like, sorry for your loss, bro. Like, the Dopamination lost a real one right there. But yeah, um, I was just hitting you up for to ask um if you guys, um, I mean, if that fool was still selling that <laughs> podcast shit, because I want to start my own podcast. You guys inspire me. I don't make sense right now because I'm fucking faded. So <laughs> I'm at work in the bathroom talking. I'm faded. But yeah, like, <laughs> if, if that fool is selling. So that's Coca Cobra. I'm sorry. And the fool he was talking about was in the early episodes of Dopey. There was a guy called Modi who's a comedian, Jewish comedian. Mm, and that like, Jewish fool. <laughs> yeah, he was a he was a Jewish fool, and uh, <laughs> he came to my apartment, and and uh, I had this like I had this apart like a, a big fish tank and he's like is that the cure for aids in there like it was all like murky <laughs> and stuff and he made fun of me a lot he said i sounded like a, he said i seemed like a camp counselor <laughs> well thank you thank, thank you for your vote of confidence um what do you think of coca cobra yo shout out to coca cobra bro that foo has to be from yo, South, that fool South, is southern so los, angeles. los angeles there's so many things man yo that fool is still selling those things <laughs> i love that guy dude and, reminds me of los angeles yeah and and Heavy. Uh, Shout out to Coca Cobra, and uh, and send in a proper voicemail. And Dopey Nation and Coca Cobra, because we played your Instagram voicemail, you are entitled to a pair of Dopey socks. So send me your address, and I will ship you some socks. Phone in. Now we're not going to tell you you're setting your dad's house on fire story. Now no, it's done. No, we're going to play Josh Peck. Shout out Josh Peck. And when we return, yo Coca Cobra was hilarious. I bro. love Coca Cobra. <laughs> And, and I mean, like a voicemail can be that simple. Yeah. It could, could be a really good dopey story or it could be about the old foo with the did, the Jewish foo. Did you sell those things he was looking for? Those he things? said he had podcasting equipment that he wasn't using. Mm. Chris was like, well, can you give it to us? And he's like, I can sell it to you. Mm. And I and he wanted money for it. I didn't want to buy it. We True. At, in those days, I think, yeah, in, in that episode, we didn't even have a mic. We were talking into the, into laptop. the laptop. The three of us were sitting <laughs> around the laptop, talking into the laptop, uh, and we never got his gear. And I, I doubt the gear is still for sale. Doubt so, that fool is still selling that shit. So we never, that Jewish fool never gave us the, the gear, and that's that. So here we go, fucking Josh Peck on Dopey. Dope, 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 dopey, dopey, dope. How are you doing, bro? Thank you so much for the cats. Wow, what a revelation. Was it good? Did it come out good? Oh yeah, beautiful. What could be bad? That's that's a better answer. What could be bad? Well, do you want to know the truth? Uh-huh. 
Okay, you you quote Mark Maron in your book, right? And uh, I have a thing for I like Mark Maron. Like he became like my sort of pseudo friend. And uh, his girlfriend died, and I sent him Katz's for the for the shiva, you know. And he like he. I mean, what what could be nicer? Well, he thanked me, and then he said, "Never send it to me again." because it's not as good as in the store. He's like, I don't need to eat it if I'm not in the store. Well, okay. That's so Mark of him. But uh, I assume you're a big fan? Yeah, I love Mark Maron, yes. So he has a wild food food issues, like obscene. I know. <laughs> like, and, and I feel like, I'm, A, I'm not speaking out of school because he's been honest about it, and B, I too suffer, but differently. So I'm sure, much like I did when I saw this big box of unbelievable food and also perishable to an extent. So you're like, got to get, you know, I'm sure he has no self-control. No, it's not. He complained. He complained that it wasn't as good as in the store. And he, I mean, it's similar. It's sort of a food issue kind of thing, but it's more like he's like, it's not good enough if it's not in the store. He was, he complained straight up, but I appreciate you. I, I, I'm glad, I'm glad you liked it. And like, uh, I can get you a better package if you want to do a mukbang with it. All right. I mean, I'm open to it. I thought it was, I, A, I thought it was great. B, every yid in the San Fernando Valley that's a friend of mine tried it and thought it was excellent. Oh, that's Granted, nice. th they're from North Hollywood, so what do they know? Exactly. But it was all good. It was great. What Are you on headphones? What are you on right now? Yeah, I'm on my AirPods. Can you get off them? I hate, they don't sound that good on the Connect. Okay, yes. I'm so sorry that I fucking uh, bummed rushed you to get the second interview. It was just so important to me, you know what I mean? You know, I shouldn't have people pleased and just immediately said, this reverb is weird. I know. I knew and that's I what it was. I knew that's it what out. it was. I, I knew it. And I should have and I should have said, Are you sure it's okay? But it's like <laughs> I swear in those moments. With, and when I work with Howie, like I love Howie, but it's, there's like four walls between me and the guest when Howie's there. And, um, and I don't like that feeling. And I, I, I just was like, okay, you're connected, but I'll tell you, I watched it. It's good. It's good. No, I'm yeah, of course. I'm sure it is. I mean, you know, we, we had a, we had a great thing going, but I think, um, this already feels more comfortable. Well, that's, that's the most important. <laughs> that's the most important, but thank you. Um, let's do it. Uh, how hard is the hour? Um, you know, I'm trying to think. I do have something at 11 my time, but here's the good news. We're friends now. So like, let's make this one an hour and I'll come back on. If you'll have me, I'll come when I'm in New York. Like, awesome. I feel like this doesn't have to be the only one. Good. No, that'd be great. Uh, I felt like I became less of a friend and more of a stalker these past few weeks. So I apologize for that. <laughs> Not at all. All right, cool. So let's do it. Um, hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And my name is Dave, and we have a very heavy-hitting guest today. He's a fucking actor. He's a fucking author. He's a, he's a serious influencer, and he's a former entomologist, which is like my favorite fucking stupid joke I ever heard in my life. His name is Josh Peck. Welcome back to the show. What a great honor. I'm so happy to be here. I'm such a fan of yours and the pod. Oh, yeah, that, that's very important. Before we unpack entomology, and you're in my version of entomology, I want 
the audience to know that Josh Peck is actually a fan of Dopey. So that's a big deal. I know. I feel like when we chatted, you know, I had said that I was a fan and you were like, yeah, right. And I'm like, no, no, no. The episode with Artie was like, was, was, I, I, you know, it should be in the Smithsonian. It's so, so good for anyone who doesn't know who I'm talking about. Artie Lang, great comedian and professional drug taker. And, uh, I don't think I'm speaking out of school here. He's pretty honest with his, uh, his trials and tribulations with substance. And, uh, and yeah, I just thought it was excellent, and uh, I've been a fan ever since. Let me ask you this: as as an addict in recovery, when you listened to it, were you like, "Artie sounds fucked up"? Was it obvious to you? No, but I'm the worst. Me too. Like now, now having a little bit of time under my belt, I am like a total square. Like people will be like, "Oh, they were doing coke in the bathroom all night." I'm like, cocaine. Really? Is it like that? You, you, you can't, I mean, you're, you're a big Hollywood person. You don't, you can't sniff it. I mean, like when I was at Artie's house, he told me he was sober and Chris was there and he told me he was sober and I, and I was sober. So I gave them both the benefit of the doubt. And I thought maybe Artie was crazy and Chris was just disinterested, but it turned out they were both high when you're around at, and I, I don't know, sometimes I can smell it and sometimes I can't. Is that how it is with you two? You know, I, yes, I, I think I'm in denial about the people that I love most when they're using. Maybe that's a, a correlation and same, you know, between you and I and, and with our closest confidants who have their own struggles. Like my best friend uh, has, you know, pretty long term sobriety, but relapsed twice. And both times I didn't know. I was the last to know. But what I and even my wife, who's a total normie, could suss it out. Um, one time she was like, Hey, your buddy kissed me on the mouth when he saw me. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Um, but did, did but, he, did he slip the tongue or no tongue? I don't know if, if he did. She didn't tell me cause I, I think she wanted me to remain friends with him. Right. <laughs> but, did you say something to him when she kissed her on the mouth? No, I mean, I think it was just kind of like a half, like it, it could easily well, this is worth talking about because I've noticed in my grown-up life that there are certain and, – and obviously I – it never happens unless a woman in my life makes it very clear that they want to kiss on the lips. Like there are – like I have three or four women in my life who when I see them go right to the lips for a peck, and I just let it happen. Do you I, notice that? I, I never do it. I know women that do it. And my wife, who's not really my wife, used to kiss. We never got married, but we're together and we have children. Um, One of my best friends, his name was Todd. He actually died uh, in the course of making Dopey, and he's become this mythological figure on Dopey. He, when he would see, and he introduced me and Linda, when he would come over, she would kiss him, peck him on the lips. And I was like, that's fucking weird. And there's a woman at my AA meeting who pecks people on the lips. And I was like, holy shit. I never get down with it because I'm scared it's going to arouse me. I'm scared I'm going to, I'm, it's going to do something to me that I don't want to be done. So who, who's pecking you on the lips? How often? What's happening? Does your mother kiss you on the lips? No, my mom and I, I mean, we have, but I mean, there's your soundbite. <laughs> We've made out a few times, but not that often. Yeah. It's not that crazy. Just some single mom shit. Um, no, I, uh, what I will say, all uh, yeah, all the women that do it with me are fifty plus, right? And 
two who are 50, let's do the forensics on this. Two who are 50 plus, one who is 60 plus, and I think they're just fucking randy, baby. Like, I think they're like, mm-hmm. oh, he's 35, we're married, and like, we're old enough broads to at this point where it wouldn't be that weird, but it's like also like a fun, like, it, I guess like, and, and you can't really attack it. Right, because if someone got upset over it, you could be like, "Well, I'm so clearly not hiding any anything. I mean, I did it in front of your wife." So, right, right. you know, it, it's like it, a yeah, fun it's, flirtation. It's a totally fun, fun flirtation that you do like literally in front of someone's spouse. Do you want to hear something fucked up that I don't think I've ever told this story on Dopey? I'm just going to tell it before we, because we're going to lose the, your whole story, but I have to tell it now. Okay, please. So, so me and and my. Linda, me and my wife, my wifey, my, my baby mama, uh, we're, we're just starting to get back together and, and I'm pretty close with her parents and we're sitting in the living room. This is years ago, five or six years ago, we're sitting in the living room and I'm sitting next to her mother. Okay. On the, on the couch and her mother's kind of leaning away from me. So her back is kind of to me. She's facing Linda and she puts her hand behind her back and, and grabs my hand. Okay. And I'm like, this is nice. You know, you know what I mean? And Whoa. then and then she starts rubbing my hand. Okay. And I like Whoa. it. I'm like, this is I, I thought like it reminded me at first it reminded me maybe of my mother like reaching out and being friendly. And then she starts rubbing my hand. And I'm like, wow, this is interesting. I don't know what I'm thinking, but I go along with it for probably six, seven, eight minutes. I'm going along with it. And then she turns around and she screams. Because she thought I was her husband sitting there. And it was a very awkward moment. And I've shared this with you now. That sounds incredibly awkward. And that's where my head went. Where what? what, what where did it go? That she thought, like, the moment you said that, I'm like, oh, she thought your hand was someone else's hand. Although, I don't know. I think I would know my wife's hand no matter what. So I find that kind of odd. I know, and her Tony, her husband is like stocky and has thick fingers, and I've got very long, spidery, ten, spidery thin fingers. She knew it. I mean, right, it, it was it was right. a thing, but it reminds me of smooching on on the lips, uh, casually. But but Sue, my mother in law, was shocked and dismayed. But enough about weird stuff like this. We got to get into the juicy, juicy, juicy. First, I want to talk entomology, because I think that's a great New York City bit. Um, where you would tell people you were an entomologist in that you studied the wonders of entomans. Yes, I was a nine-year-old comedian doing stand-up growing up in New York City, and I had a tight five minutes. And one of my jokes, my go-to jokes was, I, um, I'm an entomologist, uh, which is the study of entomans. And for I, anyone... Yeah, please, go ahead. For anyone who doesn't know, Entenmann's is like a supermarket brand uh, pastry company. The Dopey Nation knows because one of my drugs of choice is the golden, uh, you know, the golden fudge cake, the chocolate marshmallow topped cake, the double oh fudge God. cake. Are you still eating Entenmann's ever or is that gone for you? I mean, I live in Los Angeles, so I sort of pulled a uh, geographic <laughs> I lived so, in I lived in Echo Park. I would go to whatever the supermarket there. I literally was on the reverse slim fast where I'd have like a cake for breakfast, a cake for lunch, and a healthy dinner. When I live there in LA, they have the entomans. I I do see it sometimes, but it's few and far between and it's not it's like Dunkin' Donuts out here. Mm. I, there's something weird. 
I think the local, I, wherever the bakery is, it's not close enough. So it does, it's not traveling in the same way. So, and you know, I mean, it was so, the coffee, the crumb cake from Entenmann's, the Danish ring, if company came over, like this was a staple, but also like things like Drake's cakes mm-hmm. and yodels and shit. Like these are very specific, I feel like, to like an East Coast experience. Susie so, Q's? No. Susie Q's beautiful. Now I'm just a donut head. I'm, I'm a real donut addict and it's rough. Like I, I eat them more days of the week than I don't. Really? At least one. Yeah. And you, like and this week is is three three days thus far since Sunday. So you're counting you're counting donut <clears throat> days or non donut days. I'm I'm counting days that that I I think either you know since Sunday it's either been two or three times this week I've had a donut. Okay. I what do you go it's for? I, I'm not one to go on this kind of path. But what kind of donut do you like? Um, it depends. If I'm really going in and I'm gonna like. I'm going to have an affair. It's, it's going to be, I'm going to get five or six and I'm going to eat half of each. So that's how I'm going to be like, well, I'm not a total psycho. That's harm. That's harm reduction for you. Yes. It's like, I'm going to have two or three, but God knows I like, you know, like here's something I've never said no to. Let's order a bunch and we'll all share. Right. Right. Who says no to that? Cause you can bow out, but as the addict, you're not bowing out. I want to eat everyone's dish. Like, you know, when you go for Chinese food and everyone's like, we're just going to order a bunch of things. And we'll, this is, to <laughs> me, this is heaven. Um, so similarly with my donut affliction, I will get a couple things, see what's going on, a couple, three or four staples, and then two of whatever the donut du jour is. And then, yeah, and then I'm, I'm eating them while driving in a total blackout, probably listening to the dopey podcast. Wow. That sounds, that sounds delicious to me. Uh, you, you, <laughs> you and I have a bunch of things in common. We're both Jews from New York city addicts, whatever. Um, but, uh, our, our, our childhoods were very, very different. Um, I came from like, like a super nerdy middle-class, you know, f- you know, nuclear family with our own problems, but you, you were born into a house with just a, a single mom situation. Yes, I never met my dad. He kind of had this sordid affair with my mom that lasted, you know, all of one night. And he was 62, she was 42. And it never should have been. Well, of course, it, it had to have been because then now we have Josh Peck in the universe. I mean, maybe it was written in the stars. I don't know. But this does not, from what I know of reproduction, this was not ideal circumstance. No, but it, the thing that was ideal was that they had, was it a business dinner at the Carnegie Deli? Well, basically, he had invited her over to his apartment for whatever reason. And he was going through a very well-timed separation of six hours, just long enough to knock up my mom. So I imagine under the guise of whatever, he was like, come on over. She came over. They hooked up. They went to the Carnegie Deli after. Nice. And what I, what I didn't know until my teen years was they went back to his place and had bloated Oh, you know, over sodium sex again, which really grosses me out. No, that's the best. I never, I didn't understand <laughs> that part. I thought they went for dinner at the Carnegie. He's into your mom, and then they go home. But the fact that he took her to the Carnegie for dinner and then took her home—that's. I mean, I think that makes it more important that this thing happened because he doubled down on his intentions. 
And I have to say this before you say another thing. Josh Peck, I'm not good at plugging things, but Josh Peck wrote a great book that I've read twice now called Happy, and listened to, it's called Happy People Are Annoying, and you can hear the sordid sex tale in this book. Have to say that. <laughs> it's, it's true. Thank you. I appreciate it. And yes, it's like literally chapter one. And I couldn't understand why initially when my mom read the book where she was like slightly, I wouldn't say put off, but maybe shocked. And uh, it's only because I was so liberal with telling our story. Inevitably, she didn't care. But I didn't quite consider that like by me being so honest with my origin story and all my trials and tribulation, it would feel like a reflection on her. Well, what didn't she like in the book? That's a, that's a great, that's a great question. For, I'm going to tell myself, what a great question, Dave. What, what did your mother object to in your book? No, there wasn't a, an objection. I think there was a, well, first and foremost, her major objection was that I didn't dedicate the book to her. And why didn't you ded um, dedicate the book to your mother, Josh? I felt like I gave her chapters. Um, this is actually a great recovery story. A, I felt like I had given her chapters and that my life in many ways has sort of been like honoring the greatness that is my mother. Um, and so I, I I felt like I had given her her due throughout. Um, and Absolutely. I, I hope that I hope that comes through. Listen, it is, you're right. It is an amazing recovery story and you give your mother tons of due. It says in the beginning to EAD, who's EAD? Well, that's the recovery story. So growing up, there was a woman who took care of me, who was like a surrogate grandmother, my mom's best friend, her name was Edna. And she was a really special, just like basically a family member. And she fell ill. Um, at the height, years before, like a year or two before, but really her, she was sickest at the height of my using. And she passed away um, two years before I got sober. Mm. And so I never got to make a proper amends. Right. And so this felt like a way in which to honor her and what she meant to me um, because I never got to do it the, the perfect way. So that's kind of like a weird version of a living amends. And Edna is such a good old New York name, right? Oh my God, Edna, are you kidding me? And there's not enough Ednas anymore. You know that the hipsters are gonna co-op that name. That's right now it's, you know, Hoppy and Poppy and Maud and you know, like, but they're gonna Sadie, but they're gonna, they're, they're gonna appropriate the, that name too. No, I like that. I want, I want them to bring Edna back now. So if any hipsters are pregnant out there right now in the Dopey Nation, Please consider naming your daughter, or if you really want to make a splash, your son, Edna. That would be amazing. You, a boy named could Edna. Could you imagine <laughs> Haley and, and Justin have a kid and it's Edna Bieber? How uh, great would that be? It would be, be amazing. My grandmother's name was, I think, my, I, I want to say my grandmother's, I, I can't believe that I don't know. I had one grandmother whose real name was Helene, but everyone called her Rose. And my other grandmother, I think her real name was just Pearl. I don't think she had another name. So it was Pearly, and Edna lived down the hall in, in Flushing, Queens. And it'd be like, Edna's coming by. And it was like a whole thing. I love it. I love those names. Like, I, my, my grandmother's name was May, which is pretty, pretty sweet and cute. But her mother was Yetta. Yetta. I, yeah, that's a great name. That's a great name. That is name. Jewish. When I was a little boy, I had a stuffed animal cow. And I lived in the pro in the public housing in Chelsea. That's where I grew up. And I was walking through the lobby, 
and an old lady comes up to me and she goes, what's the name of that cow? It's so beautiful. And I went, Yetta. <laughs> that was the name of my cow. So there you go. I, you've talked about that before. So were you on like 21st Street and 10th Avenue? 27th and 8th. And my dad's still there. And in the public housing. And what was that like growing up there? Oh, it was great. It was like, it was like, uh, it was, what it was, was like total middle income housing, like playground in the back. In the summers, we would do like, like pseudo barbecue where everyone would get like Kentucky fried chicken and McDonald's. There was a playground full of sand behind our house. It was as close to growing up in the suburbs behind our buildings as you could be and still be in Manhattan. It was great. It's great. Well, it's interesting because I, I grew up you know, I, I, it, it was funny, like we, I grew up pretty lower middle class and then like, but then the times where like my mom wanted to get like welfare or whatever, or get some like government assistance, they always wanted to reach out to my dad right. first to be like, well, let's see if the father can help and then we'll help. And my mom was like, no, 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 I'm not, you know, I don't want to unpack whatever trauma that's going to lead to. But you know, I went to public school on 20th between 1st and 2nd on the east side, so I had a lot of friends who lived in Stuyvesant. What, PS 104? PS 104 is the middle school. I went to PS 40. My sister went to 104. Yeah, that's middle school right there. That's where I would have gone. Yeah, it's ser that's a serious spot. So you had, you had friends. And that, that brings me to a very important question that I had, which is that you didn't even see what your father looked like until you were 24. Why didn't you ask before then? What do you think? Why not? I didn't have access. We had no, we had no way of, I mean, this is pre-internet. And your mom so, obviously didn't have a picture of a dude that she met at the Carnegie and had sex with twice. I get it. No, I mean, she knew him a little. He wasn't a waiter there, but he, yeah, she, <laughs> she knew him a little bit. But, and remember he was 86 when he died, right? So he was 62 when he met my mom. And this is like, 80s, 90s, and, and, and the mid-aughts. And so he had no online footprint. Like, what a stupid no... question. Forgive me. Because I'm reading that and I'm like, why didn't she show him a picture? You know what I mean? And it's like, how could she have showed you a picture? She couldn't have. I, I remember it like, I think in my, my early 20s, I don't think I saw a picture of him until like 25 or 26, but I did see at 24, my mom realized that a good friend of hers knew his best friend and she was like you got to get a picture for my kid and finally this picture comes and it's like him at a wedding standing among amongst 40 people right on like shot on film and i'm like this sucks right. like, and it wasn't until he passed away and i knew that i had some half siblings um because he had a whole other life that I looked up their names on Facebook and immediately got this treasure trove of photos and history of him that I could never have expected. No, it's, it, it, did you connect with your, uh, with your half siblings? Never. No. And I feel like this whole writing the book and talking about it this much, cause I've talked about this on a lot of interviews, like is, is poising me to, to finally like meet them. But, I have no great interest. If it happens, okay, but like I, I don't actively seek it. Having no great interest is a great reason not to do it. But if you even have a little bit of an interest, you should just, you know, message them because then you can just check it off of the mysteries. But it might just stir up the trauma. Uh, when you were a kid, I also don't. I also don't know if I assume. I mean, I'm happy to hear your opinion on this too. I don't know if they know I exist. 
They know. And it seems like they were they, they were pretty fond of their dad. I don't know. There's three of them, and I ain't exactly hiding. So you think that they wouldn't reach out? Like I, why do you think they know? Mm, that's a good point. They probably don't know. But then you could and really. I don't want to ruin their their thought of their dead dad. Well, that's why you're a good person because I would love to ruin their. I want to ruin their thought of their dead dad. Like I want to contact them for <laughs> you and be like, check it out. Your dad is a fucking dick. He fucked over blah blah blah. But he didn't. He gave you life, and, and I'm sure a part of your talent comes directly from him. I mean, it's certainly there's part of it. I, I look just like him, which is weird, and it takes my wife to look at photos of him, like sort of a, 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 um, a separated observer to be like, are you nuts? Like, I'm like, no, I'm the spinning image of my mother. She's like, you could not look more like this man. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is, but I think that, um, yeah, I, I think that, look, it, it, it's also slightly recovery. I don't know if recovery is the right word. Or alcoholic is the right word, but I look at him, like I look at myself, right? Like if I were judged, by the shit I did at the height of my using, I'd I'd never make it to heaven, right? If we were all judged by the worst thing we ever did. So I can't be the arbiter of the ultimate right because both things can be true, that he was a total disappointment to me and a totally great dad to them. Absolutely. I mean, that's so true. I, I feel like that way about myself all the time. I also feel that way about my parents who on paper were the greatest parents, but I also totally blame them for me becoming an IV heroin addict. Now, when and I don't really blame them. That's just something I say on the show because my dad listens and I like to just poke him a little bit. You know? <laughs> um, now, you were a kid, you were overweight. How, how much do you think being overweight was driven by missing your dad or is that just a stretch? I don't know. I, I, it, certainly, I wasn't conscious of it. Um, you know, it's funny. I was on my buddy Giannis Pappas' podcast the other day and I kind of said this thing that I've been saying for my whole life, which is I felt like I missed out on the manual that was handed to everyone at birth on how to navigate life. Sure. And that I just didn't have the same sort of tools and the same blueprint for living that everyone else seemed to receive at birth. And he said, oh, you mean a dad? <laughs> He's like, yeah, dad would have helped with that. And I was like, oh, that's a good point. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like... I'm sure it had everything and nothing to do with it. Cause as we know, like, you know, I, like my best friend who's, who's been in recovery for 10 years, he, his brother is completely not afflicted. And they, in theory, unless somebody got touched and never told me, like, right. you know, had, had the exact same environment, the same parents and one of them caught the thing and the other one did it. Right. Right. No, I, and, and I, again, like I came from this very, like look seeming so idyllic situation, but I didn't feel like I got the blueprint. Like when I, when I heard you say that I felt the same way and I had a dad, my dad didn't particularly, like my dad didn't particularly play ball with me. He was so like athletically gifted and I was so not athletically gifted that I think he, he, he was like, you're not my son kind of thing pretty quickly. Like when we would play stuff, he would get frustrated. And then I just kind of did my own thing. Uh, you didn't have that issue, but your mother was so in love with you in every way, in the in the best way and the worst way. And when she saw you cultivate your comedy, um, wasn't she like, let's do this thing? Yes. I think, you know, there were a couple of factors at play. A, she was an unrealized performer herself. She's 
my mom has an incredible singing voice. She's hysterical. You know, she's like the, the light of every party. And so obviously I learned so much from her in that way. And I think the moment that she saw an opportunity to sort of right the wrongs that happened to her by supporting her kids, she was like, oh, great, I'm in. I also was really overweight. So I think instinctively as a parent, she was like, well, he's not going to get confidence from Little League. Right. So if this makes him feel good, good in his skin, great. And then the third part was, was our situation was, you know, I say in the book, like I would look at my friends with traditional family systems growing up and they seemed like closed corporations and the parents were upper management and the kids were the employees. But my mom and I were a startup. Right. And so the fact that I was an only child and she was a single mom, I could, you know, she could disrupt her life and move 3000 miles away without any uninvited pragmatism from another sibling and or partner. Which is super exciting. I mean, just to hear the, 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 the genesis of, of Josh Peck and what your mother was willing to do to further the quote unquote business of Josh Peck, but also the art of Josh Peck and the desires of Josh Peck is super fun. And like you went from, uh, from, from stand up with Sid Gold to Nickelodeon, how quickly? Um, I would say, so I started doing stand up. I started auditioning for Nickelodeon all the time in New York City, um, in Times Square, where the Viacom headquarters was. Sure. And now I'm like 11 or 12 years old, and I booked my first movie, which was called Snow Day for Nickelodeon. Nice. And within a year, I was doing the Amanda show. So it was, yeah, I remember it was like 20, or I'm sorry, 1999, I did Snow Day, and by June of 2000, I was on, I was on the Amanda show. So pretty, pretty quick gestation. And how old were you? I was 13 when I started on the Amanda show. Right. Right. And, and you were not one of these, I mean, this is the show about drugs, addiction and dumb shit, but at 13, you were not close to drugs or addiction unless you can't count food as addiction at the time. Which it totally is. Yes. Yeah. I was in, I was in full blown addiction and that's when I really started. I remember at 12 years old, I would go and, stop at the bodega near my house and like i i put on the most weight between 12 and 17 because first it was my first access into where someone wasn't controlling my intake because i'm at school so you can go out for lunch so it was like you go around you know i was going to performing arts high school and so you go to 48th and 9th avenue you were at laguardia no i went to professional performing arts high school in the theater district and LaGuardia is like Timothy Chalamet, you know, these like real actors, actors. Yes. You know, PBAS was, well, I guess actors, actors, Claire Danes and Alicia Keys went there and, nice. and some cool alum. And, and then on a, on a less exciting level, me. And, uh, but, you know, I'd go for lunch and I would go get, you know, beef and broccoli with a side of rice, soup and an egg roll for four ninety nine. Yeah. Can't and beat the lunch like, special. Serious lunch special action. Yeah. And then, you know, the bodega in the morning with the bacon, egg and cheese and, and a, and a drink. And so, uh, and then as soon as I moved to LA, it's like there's craft service tables now on set and I was in full blown. Yeah. I was in, I was in full blown addiction just in, in my first addiction. When you can, now you're in recovery a long time. How many years do you have now? 
Uh, 14. Right, 14 years. It's amazing. And you can, easy, I mean, we can look back at our using. Can you look back, you know, to being 14 years old and, and being a food addict? Do you, can you compare what being an alcoholic, a drug addict, and a food addict is like easily? Can you recall it? Yeah, I would wake up in the mornings and I would be hungover. And I, I would need to pound a Diet Coke. Mm. Like... I needed that caffeine and I was just in sugar withdrawal and I didn't realize it. Um, I've been sneaking since I, I mean like my, some of my earliest memories are living in Florida and being at my friend Josh, you know, we were the two Josh's, my buddy Josh's house and like raiding his pantry at five or six for whatever he had and the shame of, you know, my uncle who was, who was very, um, you know, he was just, a, he was a fit guy and wanted everyone else to be fit. Um, you know, the shame of, of, of them finding candy bars in my pockets from, from their, you know, their kitchen cabinet. Like this is, yeah, this was, this was deep. I've, I've been sneaking and hiding and lying and cheating to get my fix as far back as I can remember. It just used to be cake. And then the shame is also you're overweight and then you're just shamed for having these, like it's like if you're skinny and you have some eating disorder, the shame probably isn't as intense because they, they like look at you and you hate yourself kind of thing. Yes. It's, it's a different, and I mean, it's easy and I'm always careful about that because like, I, I shouldn't say careful. I, I will joke jokingly say like, you know, when people are like, God, I can't put a pound on. I'm like, oh, God, like, really, let's get the tissues out. But, yeah, I mean, people who are super thin who have eating disorders, that's as real as it gets. Absolutely. Yeah. When I was a kid, I wasn't particular. I was a little bit overweight. I felt really overweight. And my mother would, like, kind of shame me about it. I remember one time she, like, mentioned, because I had love handles, and she called them shoulders of fat. I can't get this. I cannot get that expression out of my mind. I was like 13 or something. And I'm still, I still have these shoulders of fat. I still can't get it out of my mind. Um, it's like, how did you, cause then also you're a performer, you're in the public eye and you're kind of, you wrote about it, about like being compared to the great fat comedians. Um, did you see yourself that way or was that just the default? No, and I don't know what was, I don't know whether it was my mother's words implanted in my mind at 10 years old when she was always like, you're still gorgeous to me, or, you know, don't worry, you're going to lose the weight one day. Like, to her, to her credit, granted, my mom is, has struggled with weight and food her entire life, and it's been in 12-step for food. So my framework was fucked. Like, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, my, my life growing up was growing up around diet foods and food being the ultimate, you know, super focus. It just is what it is. Did your mom ever but, have the old school ice milk in the freezer? My mom had the ice milk. Do you remember that? It was a, no, it was some weird fucking diet ice cream, but keep going. I don't want to interrupt your flow. Not at all. I mean, my mom and I went to Duke in North Carolina for a weight loss, like camp, like, I, not not me, I was two, but like, you know, my mom would do like, you know, literal medical weight loss programs where UCLA oversees you for months. And like, there was every version of napkins and Weight Watchers. And 
and she, the one thing she just never did, because thankfully I think she was just always scared of it, were like weight loss drugs. Right. Um, and your mom was but, an alcoholic too. Yeah, I mean, but not, she's just, you know, it, it, it takes whatever form it'll take. But for her, her, her great love has always been food. And by the way, it's, it's a, it's a motherfucker because you can't put the plug in the jug, right? You have to like sparse out a certain amount of like whiskey or Vicodin or whatever your thing is every day. And that's terrifying. And it's so socially acceptable. And there's also like, I mean, granted, there's people who will do that now, even in my life for 14 years, where they'll be like, come on, you can't do a champagne toast. But Mostly people get it. They're like, no, 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 keep that kid from the fire water because otherwise he's going to turn into a monster. But, you know, if you're on a diet, there's always going to be that one schmuck who's going to say, no, you got to try this. Come on, just have a bite. And it's like, no, some people can't just have a bite. Right. No, absolutely. Um, What I was asking about the alcoholism is like your mom had this food issue. Your mom had this alcohol issue. She had it. She was in a she was in 12 step, right? Yes. I almost, but mostly in OA, overeaters. Oh, so when you went to 12-step meetings with her, it was more for overeaters. Yes, but she went to AA meetings too because like we find in most, you know, in I, I don't want to say most, but a lot of people who have found solace in 12-step for whatever their specific thing is, be it gambling or spending or sex or food, they will gravitate toward, towards AA meetings as well because – you're basically just substituting the word and also it's sort of the virgin program. So it tends to have some really strong levels of sobriety. I agree. I I found that to be true. When did you meet Drake? Uh, We were on the Amanda show together. And did you hit it off? Like I know the chemistry on screen was ridiculously palpable, but how was it off screen? I think we were like very different kids. He was in Orange County you know, Gentile kid who had been in the business his whole life. And I was like this Jewish New York kid um, who who was sort of just getting into it. So we were very different. And yet I think we both, I think what was similar in us was that we were career men at the age of 13. Like, I think what we really shared in was a desire to do well and to be pros and to kill it. And so it was like, once we saw that we had a good thing going and that could sort of lead to us getting our spinoff and it having great success, I think we were both pot committed. Like I say in the book, um, you know, it's like as soon as, you know, Dennis Rodman and Michael Jordan got together, like, I don't think, there was a thought about like any off court antics. It was like, no, 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 he's always going to get the rebound for me. I don't give a shit. Right. So, but in, yeah, in that think- relationship, in that partnership came great success. Um, did you, did you have a lot of close friends Were you, did you want him to be one of them? And I'm only asking because of that great tabloidian story where you don't invite him to the wedding and everyone freaks out. And I want to get to the, uh, the, the bottom of it when your kids, Cause like I always needed to be close with whoever I was involved with, or I wanted to be, you know, I always tried to be as close friends with the people around me as possible. I think that's right. No, I think like while we were shooting the show, I think we naturally had a, had a a good working relationship most of the time. And then we were naturally teenagers who would, 
you know, kind of fall in and out of love with each other. But mm. it was nothing ever more than that. But I was lucky. Like, I, I had a whole network of friends. Right. Um, that, you know, like my best friend who I've talked about throughout the pod, like we became best friends at 14. And so I had a really good sort of network of people. And I think that, you know, citing that sort of tabloid story, like I think people just marry themselves to their first images of you. So while I think that it, it wasn't, you know, crazy to not invite someone that, you know, you hadn't worked with in, in over 15 years, I think people were so locked into that time of their life. And so for them, it felt like, you know, this huge slight. Well, it's a disappointment to the fan. It doesn't matter what it means in real life. It's a disappointment. Like, I still want Paul Simon to invite Art Garfunkel to sing with him. Like, for no other reason than it makes me feel good. And I'm sure it would have made people feel good, but that has nothing to do with you or Drake, right? That's right. I think that's that's totally a fair sort of assessment. Now, when at what point... Does the weight loss happen and the end of that show and you, it's kind of like, you know, the, you know, your, your ascent to manhood in that period of time, you lose weight, the show ends and that's where, uh, alcoholism and drug addiction sweep in. Right. Yeah. I mean, I basically, where it really swept in was at 17, I decided that I was going to lose weight because I knew that food had been a menacing force to the packs. I'd watched it, you know, sort of afflict my family for a long time. And that if I didn't get control of it, it A, it would inhibit my life because I knew that I was never going to be the bigger guy who was comfortable dating or whipping his shirt off. And, and that's just a reflection of me because there's plenty of big guys who have big, bold lives. But for me, I knew I wasn't comfortable because it was a manifestation of of insecurity and discomfort and this, like, this uh, undealt with trauma that I've been carrying. Um, Talk about that some more. Like, like what is, what, what's that trauma? Like I had the same thing that I didn't want to take my shirt off and I was terrified if I had to take my shirt off. Um, And I think for me, I was so scared that people would be disgusted with me or that they would, that I, you know, that I wouldn't be good enough for how I am in clothes somehow. I don't even know. What what do you think it was with you, what that fear was? Well, look, I, it's easy for me <clears throat> now to look at it through the lens of a sober guy and to be like, well, I was just so self-centered thinking the whole right. world was looking at me. Right. But, but you know what? People are looking at you when you're a teenager and you're fat. Like, they are. People look at me at 35 when I take my shirt off and I have relics of being 300 pounds and I have some droopy skin around my nipples and I have some stretch marks and certain things. Like I see people just do a second glance because anatomically you can see the vestiges of like my, you know, my old life. Like people just kind of look at my chest and go like, that seems off. Right. And it just is what it is. But now I'm 35 and I have someone who like I sleep with only and regularly. So I'm not so worried about it. But at 16, the world was ending. Um, so it was certainly it was certainly challenging. And so when I decided to lose weight, it was because I was like, I feel like I've missed out on a big part of my teenage years. And if I don't get this under control, I'm going to miss out on my 20s and at that point why lose weight 
So I did it. And I think we talked about this once, but like throughout this time, like we would come back to New York for a month every year over the summer and just see family and hang out. And I had my high school buddies who I would chill with every day. And regularly, and it's weird because I don't even have much of a memory of this, except I know it to be true, that we'd either sit in my buddy's basement in Queens or we'd go up to my friend's uh, roof in Chinatown and we'd smoke a blunt. And it would be fun and surely pleasurable and nothing much more than that. And it literally, I never thought about doing it again until the next year I came to New York. Um, but weirdly, once I lost 100 pounds, I don't think it's any sort of, uh, you know, it does, it's not surprising that it coincided with me trying, you know, smoking weed again, and suddenly something was unlocked in my brain saying, oh, we've given up our original love, our first medicine. This medicine is so much more efficacious and no calories. Let's move to this. And you know, I didn't take a sober breath for the next four and a half years. But you weren't smoking weed during the weight loss period. Um, just no. I mean, except for those those summers. It's interesting because I, I also thought about like, you know, like when you get sober, you make a decision to get sober. You make it's a lot of making a decision. And, and did you find it to be a similar decision when you were losing the weight? Yeah, I mean, you have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you have to be willing to try it someone else's way. And um, <clears throat> I think we all, you know, I always, I said this in the book, but people always want some sort of, you know, hack on how to lose weight. And sometimes I'll, I'll someone will ask me only because they, it, I sort of so publicly lost weight. And I want to give them a secret because I, I know how badly I wanted it. And what I always say to them is that, listen, it was boring. I, I ate less and worked out more. But what I'll tell you is if you're feeling completely over it and totally sick and tired of being sick and tired and like hopeless and lost, it's a great place to start. Right. And it's the, the number one thing that's the same across the board is willingness. What are you willing to do to change? Yeah. And it's, it, you know, they always say with an alcoholic, like if like alcoholics respond great to catastrophe, it like breaks us out of our pattern, at least for a moment. So if a guy calls you and says, Hey, my wife just left, or I just got a DUI or I lost my job or what have you. And I got to get sober. I need to go to a meeting. Like, don't let them take, take a nap because if they take a nap and they shower and they eat a sandwich, they, they might get comfortable. Just go, right. It wasn't that bad. Right. Right. Like, get them to a, get them to a meeting, get them to a rehab, like at least, because that's where that seed of change can be planted, so, in my experience. Right, in, in, the, in the catastrophe moment. Absolutely, because you have to fix it. You have to do something. You have to spring into action. When did Yeah, uh, it's a bottom. Yeah, and, and, and I, I know you don't love talking about drugs, but you do talk about yeah, drugs. Can. Like, how did that, how did it happen? And then, and then when you got into it, did it remind you of food at all? It seemed so much cooler and it had such this added element of, I, I was feeding the addiction, the addictive part of me that, you know, that dragon inside of me that, you know, where one is too many and a thousand's never enough, but also 
being addicted to food wasn't fucking cool, but drug addicts are kind of cool. Like certainly that's what was going through my 18 year old brain. Right. Because I looked up to Hunter S. Thompson and uh, Basquiat and all these like New York counterculture people like to be underweight and misunderstood and, a, and an artist and a drug addict. Like now that's cool. Yeah, it sounds and good. So there was that element too. So like it, it was the perfect storm of uh, untreated alcoholic in, in training. Um young and supremely stupid also with the feeling of well i need to make up for lost times because i didn't really live a, a, a normal teenage adolescence i've been either working or fat or both um so i i have to make up for lost time and you know this feels cool it's i mean what what could be worse for a young mind no and access and being and being like now you're this beautiful Cause you were this, like the ugly duckling that became the beautiful swan at that point. <laughs> like, no, you were beautiful. Like the whackness period, like you looked like a really good looking, I mean, you're still beautiful, Josh, come on, look in the mirror. But at, at the whackness, <laughs> you, you turn up as this kind of like the person you're talking about, this beautiful New York hip hop stoner kid. And, um, and I'm sure it was like, holy shit, this is the transformation I want. I'm not this fat like, you know, theater nerd, I'm this hip hop stoner kid or whatever, you know, it's like, it's this trans, right. it, it, but it's exciting. It's a real, like, I remember I saw the whackness just after I got off of methadone and I was like, wow. I was like, it was the movie I needed to see. I loved it. Um, cause I was, a you know, I, I wasn't like the character Luke in the whackness, but I was from Manhattan and I liked hip hop and I was a stoner and I tried to sell weed unsuccessfully. Um, <laughs> did you feel that, um, like, was there a real, I have arrived moment when you got to go from Drake and Josh, Josh to the whackness, Josh? Oh yeah. I mean, it, it, I had had, I don't know where this voice came from. I, I talk about it in the book of like the duality of ego and how it would inevitably lead me down the wrong road. But like, there's this great quote about where Muhammad Ali said, I am the greatest. And he said, I am the greatest. I've, I, I said that even before I knew it to be true. Yeah, I love that. And it's so true, right? Because we all have to tell ourselves that because it's a ridiculous it, it's an insane prospect, the idea to make it in a business like show business or athletics or in music. Like, it's just, there's no data to suggest that it's going to work out. And so I told myself that I remember I, I started going to acting class in, in, uh, in the Valley. When I moved to LA, I was, I was 14 and I get sent to this acting class and I'm in an acting class with Evan Rachel Wood. We're all, 13, 14, Evan Rachel Wood, Evan Peters, Penn Badgley, Mae Whitman, like Dakota Fanning, like people who have gone on to be brilliant, brilliant adult actors. And sure. up until that point, my training was my mom going, milk the joke, baby. <laughs> yes. So I had no training. And I remember I went there and I got totally broken down by this great teacher and, and sort of brought down to like my foundation. But because I had a, some natural talent and an affinity for this thing, I got good quick. And quickly I was like, oh, 
I'm pretty good at this thing. I can't do it because I'm overweight. And right now I'm relegated to the best friend or the bully. But one day I'm going to be the dude. And like, that was like my little secret with the universe of like, if I can, like, if I can, if I can give up enough skin, like in this thing, like literally, right. I can, I'm going to be the guy I dreamed of. And yeah. So the wackness was like, I mean, because everyone was like, you're fat, you're from New York, you're broke and you have no nepotism, like you have no ties to the business. Good luck. And then I get this show and they're like, yeah, but you're fat and funny. So you'll do this. And then I lost the weight. They're like, yeah, but you're funny. So you'll do this. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, this is it for me. And so, yeah, it all coming true was like, wow, like wow. I did it. It reminds me, we, the other day I was at a meeting and we read We Agnostics and it talked about uh, the Wright brothers and faith. And it reminds me of that Muhammad Ali story. Like, if you believe it, you can do it. You know, if you can dream it, you can be it. And you need to, it's like, what's the point of thinking anything else besides that you can do it? You know what I mean? Like, even if you can't, you might, like, I believe Dopey will be, fucking Joe Rogan for drug addicts. You know what I mean? Like, I don't give a fuck. I believe it. And I'm not, and sometimes I'm like, you're stupid for believing this dream, but I'm like, why, what would that mean to, to judge myself based on a dream? Like having faith, I think is, is the, you know, the, the beginning of every great story. I think so. And I think it's worth saying that that, as as defining and as sort of uh, what a confirmation that moment was, you know, the if that's sort of the first side of the bookend, the other side of that bookend is when the whackness went to Sundance and I'm 21 and this was, this is the culmination of my dream because I had been to Sundance with a movie when I was 16. I had a small part in this movie. And I remember thinking to myself, one day you're gonna come back here and you're gonna be the star of a movie. And it happened and I'm 21 and I lost the weight and I'm acting with Ben Kingsley, like my favorite actor. And I remember Quentin Tarantino walked into the screening of the movie and I was like, oh my God, like it's happening. Right. And I think I, think I went to bed that night imagining that I would wake up and Josh wouldn't be here anymore, that I would be delivered. And that shitty committee, that negative self-talk, that always feeling inferior, that inability to abide by the social contract would be gone forever because I'd finally reached the finish line. Right. Isn't that so funny? If I only had all these things, I would be different. And then you learned that wasn't the case. No, I woke up the next morning. I was like, oh, no, I'm still here. And I immediately got a flight out of Utah. And everyone screamed at me like, are you nuts? Like, you have a hit movie here. This never happens. Like, stay, enjoy it. And I couldn't even enjoy it because my worst fears were being realized that I was bottomless. And I got sober two weeks later, and I don't think it's a coincidence. That and that same day, Heath Ledger died. And I remember what an impact that had on me. Now, I would be remiss as the host of the most important drug addiction show in the universe to not ask what you were using and what was your favorite and what was your least favorite. Um, I, <clears throat> I was using cocaine. Um, 
sort of throughout, but I, or that was sort of like my, my entry into uh, the sordid uh, underbelly of, of hard drug use. And then it's that great Robin Williams joke. I was on everything but skates. I've done everything. I did everything. I was on everything. It, it, it probably, because I was such, um, because, uh, you know, I, I sort of refused to pick a favorite. Maybe it spared me in some respect. Yeah. That, there wasn't just one thing so that I had to have like, you know, such terrible sort of withdrawals from one particular thing. But, you know, I, I didn't make it a habit of saying no to much of anything. As a neurotic Jew, did benzos appeal to you? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a human with a, <laughs> with a brain. It, it, I mean, yes. I, I mean, because benzos, I mean, Ativan, Xanax, Klonopin, I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it turns down the volume on yes. life and existence. And I mean, there's a chapter in my book called When Existing's Exhausting. And I, I think that's that sums it up for me. But by the way, like in the few times my incredibly normie wife has taken um, a Xanax on a plane, she's terrified of flying. And it's so it's, it's so annoying because she'll do it completely as prescribed. Um, even she someone who will drink half a margarita, which really kills me, will say, oh, this is nice. Like, I, I get it. And what does it do to you now? What, what, Xanax? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. When your wife is like, this is really nice. Is, do you smile for her? Do you resent her? Are you jealous? Like, what's the feeling? Um, I want, that's a great question. I love when my wife gets a little tipsy because, again, she's so controlled. Like, I love when people have a healthy relationship with alcohol and they can enjoy it and because they only become more fun for me. Um, That's funny. And uh, But the problem is, is I would say not everyone, in quotes, is a full-blown alcoholic, certainly. But I would say more – I would say if you're looking at 10 – if, if you took a random sample size and you you track 10 people, I would say five or six of them probably have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, even if they're living a totally functional life. Sure. Um, I mean, that was brought up to me in a meeting once, like, or, you know, like people who say like, yeah, like I'm really good. Like I make sure I only have like one or two drinks and then I, you know, X or, you know, I make sure I only have two drinks during the week. And someone once said, like, you know, it's it, um, it, it's not normal to count your drinks, even if you're controlling them. Like, obviously, granted, if you know you're going to drive and you're like, I'm only going to have one beer because I don't want to get a DUI. That, but, like, if you're actively tracking your drinking, there's something unhealthy about that. No, I get it. I get it. It means that, there, yeah, there's something amiss. There's an alcoholic in training in there somewhere. Uh, in there's the some, but but they're they're functioning. Like my wife, I, like I said, she'll drink half a margarita. I'll be like, for what? It's like drinking half half a cup of coffee. I'm like, I'm not drinking because I love the taste of Peruvian beans. No, I get <laughs> like, it. I get it. I I just had a friend who who who's in rehab now, but he he wound up relapsing by thinking he could have a drink. You know, he thought he could have right. a drink, and then he realized he didn't want a drink. He wanted fucking to be destroyed. You know what I mean? He wanted oblivion and he wound up drinking a bunch of drinks and then, you know, eventually smoking fentanyl and crack and, in, in, you know, in the Midwest. And like, that's what happens to an alcoholic. How full blown 
were you in the four and a half years? And like, I love the Sundance story because it's like, you have everything you want and it's nothing. Right. Um, what, what was the, like, can you, can you cite any kind of like chemical bottom in your brain that you remember in that time where you're like, fuck, I'm not living the way I should be living, or this is not working out for me. I mean, there were, what do you mean chemical bottom? Like where I just felt like hopeless. I guess I mean like a day where you're like, I fucking took too much. I can't stop. I can't believe this is my life. I was this big Nickelodeon star and now I'm in this situation. Well, no, the, the, I was a big Nickelodeon star never crosses my mind. Cause to me, that was like never something to be like, proud, of. <laughs> super proud of. I hear you. I mean, not, it wasn't something to be ashamed of, but it was always like, yes, that was like, but a, that, that to me was like, yeah, okay, forget, let's popular, take, no, let's take Nickelodeon out. Let, let's take Nickelodeon out. You were, you were a, 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 a successful working actor. You were a famous person and, right. and, and you were under the influence and you were under the pressure of addiction. Do you remember like, you know, everyone talks about their worst day using versus their best day sober, whatever that expression is. Do you remember your worst? What, what can you cite as one of your worst days using? Yeah. I mean, certainly there were so many moments. I mean, I, I always say if your only relationship with God is you in the shower, begging him not to let you die, you're at a, you're spiritually bankrupt. And that was plenty. There were plenty of times where I was in the shower with all my clothes on, uh, terrified being like, and, and it was funny because my buddy had always said to me, um, you know, if, if you take, if, if you take something and you don't die within the first hour, you're not going to die. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like there's, there's a, there's, there's sort of like a stopwatch or a, a, a countdown to the potentials of overdosing. But Constantly, I was in so many uh, experiences. There were so many moments where, had luck not been on my side, or my mother's prayers, or, or you know, just the fact that I was struck, like that I wasn't a bad guy. I just was like really, you know, afflicted and struggling. That, yeah, had had uh, had had it gone a different way, it would have been all over for me. So I don't like existentially. I don't know if I ever. You know, there were certainly moments where I knew I was breaking my mom's heart because I just could not show up for her at that time or moments where I like knew professionally that I was ruining relationships because I just couldn't be, um, I couldn't be relied on. Um, but yeah, and then there were just moments where I remember like once I was just like in a bad neighborhood picking up something and I like kind of, I was talking to someone in my car and I backed into someone's uh, this, uh, we were in a strip mall and I back into this, like, not an unnice car. Um, and it wasn't bad. I mean, it literally, if it happened to me now sober, like I would literally try to make the case for like, Hey dude, like, I, like, I don't even know if it, it didn't leave a dent and maybe it left a light scratch. Like I would, I would try to make the case now of really like, do we have to go through insurance? Like, can't we just like, if it's maybe it's better said if someone did it to me, I'd probably nine out of 10 times, I'd just let them go. Me too. It was like that little of an effect on, on the car. But all of a sudden, I remember seeing like a dozen scary guys run out of this, wherever they were. I don't know. It was a bar or something because it was one of their cars. And I was like, oh, God. And of course, I was there picking up something. So I had a couple hundred bucks in my wallet. And I literally just ripped it out and handed it to the guy. Right. Like, so sorry. And boned out. Like that could have gone so, so much worse for me. And there were plenty of experiences like that where – 
I could have been in danger. How naturally did recovery come to you? Um, I would say it came incredibly naturally to me because I was, I was ready and much like the perfect storm of my drug using, it was the perfect storm of my, my recovery is that the seeds had been planted over time that grew into this forest of truth that I could no longer ignore. But most importantly was that I walked into my first meeting when I was finally actually ready to listen because I'd been to meetings before, but I finally heard my story. I heard that there were people like me and they weren't shattered. Like they were actually people who were living big full lives. And it was the most pivotal moment of my life because suddenly it seemed like there's a way to have your brain and to exist and to operate under the social contract. You keep talking and about this social contract. Can you open that up a little bit for me? Just like I remember hearing the guy say, I couldn't understand how there were people who knew how to show up for work every day on time. Right. And, and didn't steal from their employers. Like even if you didn't actually material steal, but like um, stealing, stealing time. their time. Right, totally. And how to show up for their family and to be, you know, a faithful, good spouse and partner and save, like all these things, these natural things that seem um, that they're just part of, of growing up. I didn't know how to necessarily do those things. And it was because as far back as I could remember, instead of facing life on life's terms, walking through trial and tribulation and challenge, making it through to the other side, now equipped with tools and problem solving skills, I drank or I ate. So I ran from life. I ran from all those things and I arrested my development. So it was nothing, it, it wasn't a surprise why I was trying to navigate 20 something year old issues with a, with a 12 year old's brain or an eight, you know, I don't know, whenever I started really like indulging. So, you know, when you see certain people, look, it's a good time to get sober at any time, but the keys to get sober young is like when you see a guy who's been hard drinking for 30, 40 years and they finally get sober, it's like, that's a lot of catching up to do. Right. So, yeah, I had just, you know, arrested myself at a time. So, I, I you know, it's no surprise why I'm trying to figure out life with the brain of a little kid. And you're 24, 22? How old were you? I was 21 when I got sober. That's amazing. And, 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 and I guess, though, if you, if you connect the eating and the childhood and the lack of a blueprint that you described, it's like all of a sudden it's like, holy shit, there's, here's a blueprint. I see it. I have a blueprint. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, my buddy said, said it best. He said, you didn't tell me what was wrong with, with me. You told me what was wrong with you. And I identified. Wow. It's amazing. And like, so in that transformation out of there, like how did we get to Josh Peck influencer? Is that comfortable or uncomfortable in general? It, it was a mix of things, right? Be, because I was sober, I, I had this and, and still going through this very um, 
crazy, unsober business of mine, I was able to sort of adapt. I, and my ego, in, in certain ways, wasn't controlling my choices, saying, I'm above this, or what are the optics of this? I'm going to be perceived as, you know, slumming it, or, or that this is some weird consolation prize, which certainly isn't the truth now, wasn't the truth then, but in 2013, the lines were so less clear. It's what you told and, yourself, so you so you could so you could put yourself down. Yeah, I mean, I, I basically just like I allowed myself to go where it was warm and use my set of skills in this new emerging media, even if it didn't have the same like cool connotation than that being in a movie or a TV show had. And I leaned in. I was uniquely suited for short form videos at a time where social media was in its, you know, first days. So the algorithm shined brightly on people who were creating content regularly, especially if it was pretty good or even just okay. So I got really lucky in that way, but I also leaned in and I, I went at it as hard as I go at most things, which is like with this unabashed fervor and it allowed me to like create this whole new sort of second income for myself that allowed me the security to like marry my wife and have a kid and be creative on your own terms, you know, and do what you do, what you want in that situation. How, how haunted are, were you in the beginning by self-hatred in that process that you're not Leonardo DiCaprio and instead you're inventing basically a brave new world. Yeah. I mean, the good news was, was it, it's a long life and it was part of that ego death that needed to be, that was required. I, I remember at a meeting once I heard a woman say, you are the fish you are trying to catch. The bad news and the good news is you're the love of the, the you are the love of your life. You're everything you've been looking for. I love that. And she, and she said, what are you willing to let go that stands between you and sobriety? And in the book, I quote her, but I say happiness to make it more inclusive. But she's like, what are you willing to let go of? Because we know we want to let go of those defects that are glaring, that road rage, that self-hatred, self-hatred, that extreme jealousy, that slothfulness, like all those things. Yeah, who wouldn't want to get rid of that? She's like, but as you get more sober, what about those things that are more intertwined with our identity that relationship that you think you can't live without that job that you think defines you can you let go of that to get closer to god and i remember sitting in that meeting at three or four years sober and thinking god she is so right and god i hope that never happens to me and that's what it it ha that's what happened with social media in this like really loving way right because here i was getting this whole other sort of parachute, the safety net of security, and yet had to go through a full ego death of being like, can you be okay not being the DiCaprio or that guy you always thought right. you were supposed to be? And it doesn't, you know, it's a long life, and I've been so lucky to have more success. So it's like, I have no idea what'll happen, but, it, it, but what was more important was I needed to be okay letting go of something that, that I thought defined me. Sure. I love that. And and how natural did this, I mean, you just kicked some fiery spirituality. How, how natural did that come to you? 
I don't mean now. I mean in the first place. You how? I mean, like obviously, you're a hundred percent Jewish. Were you were you <laughs> religiously Jewish? Were you practicing? Like, where did your perception of God even show up, and when? I'm I'm so lucky because it's it's worth, you know, you you cited the chapter to the agnostics. Like, it's worth citing that you know, and I I understandably so. I know so many people have issues with traditional 12-step recovery because of how God-centric it is. And even though it's a total higher power of your own understanding and you don't have to believe in God to utilize the program, I can also honor that it's God-heavy. Yeah, Um, for sure. But so I think I was really lucky in that way that I didn't really have an issue with God. I just had no thought of God. Um, I don't think I walked around thinking I was God, but I certainly thought I was in charge of everything that happened to me. And if you put me in charge of everything that happened to you, you'd be better off too. So I think that had to be smashed. And I think I had a really um, punishing God that at every misstep, every moment I could have done better or any time where I didn't quite live up to what I thought I should be doing, that I was going to pay for it. Like God was watching and I was going to be punished. When in reality, what I've realized is, is that I am a witness to my own bad behavior. And what I sacrifice by lying and cheating and stealing is that sunshine of the spirit, is that um, I I sacrifice my peace by acting in a way that I know is not okay by me. So that's why I don't like steal from other people. That's why I don't cheat on my wife because I mean, obviously I'm honoring my wife because like, God forbid, I would never want to do that to her, but more even more so, I don't want to do it to myself. No, of course. You have to live with that. I, I don't want to walk around with that secret. I'm not willing, because I know where I go when I'm uncomfortable. I know where when, where I go when my skin is crawling, and that's to a drink. And so I don't want to get any, I don't want to do anything that's going to get me close to a drink. For me, I, I had no God. I was, I, you know, my dad who I've put down in this interview a lot, and I want to apologize to my dad. So I want to apologize to you, Josh, and to my dad. My dad is a great dad. I just love to talk shit about him on the show. I, it's, 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 it's one of my weaknesses. It's a character defect I need to remove. But my dad, my dad cited himself as an orthodox atheist, and like he thinks that people who believe in God are idiots. Again, I'm sorry, Dad. Uh, even though God <laughs> saved me in this whole situation, um, And it wasn't natural for me to find God until I heard an old Jew at a meeting talk about his God as his gift of desperation. And like, Mm. and I needed God. I I needed infinite, you know, I needed the infinite wonder of love in me and I needed it badly. But I, even to this day, I get uncomfortable talking about it, but you seem very comfortable. How did you get so comfortable with it? Because it, I think it's because I didn't have to, how do I say it? There's, and again, I don't want to make light of it because I know that that God can be a real barrier of entry for people. But I always want to say, if you can get past the God part in the initial sort of introduction to 12-step, trust me, there is not another mystical or metaphysical thing that you will fucking have to do. Like, there's no incense there's no rain dance. There's no circumcision. There's, There's no late, late yeah. life circumcision. None of it. Like there is no more leap of, of faith that you're going to have to take in this thing. Um, it, it then, once you get past that, it just turns into very pragmatic tools and approaches to life. Um, but 
for me, by me getting on my knees and humbling myself to something bigger than myself in the morning or at night, whether or not God really exists, I know I feel better. So I just believe it. And yes. So if I act as if there's a God, I know I feel better. And so whether or not there is one, isn't really my business. Right. I, I totally, totally get that. And I remember like when I, when I started out in program and I would hear God is everything or God is nothing. I thought of it as a snarky kind of statement, meaning like either you were all about God or you were about nothing. And then one day I kind of had this feeling, well, no, God is everything. Meaning like where we are, the sky, the fucking ocean, the animals, us, whatever, or or there's, or there's nothing, you know what I mean? So I can accept that everything is a manifestation of God. And that is much easier for me, uh, than to have just this deity or this entity or this, you know, my dad hates God because in his mind it divides so many people and there's so many wars fought over this, you know, this mystical entity that really isn't godly. You know what I mean? That's his issue with, with God. And then, uh, my sponsor, like I'll talk to my sponsor about Dopey and he's, my sponsor is like a fucking hardcore long Eastern Long Island contractor with like tattoos on his neck and tattoos (laughs) on his knuckles that say real deal. Only it spells R E E L. And he's like, he's like, David, if you put more God into the show, the show is going to be bigger. And I'm like, dude, but how do I make God funny on the show? It's like, Josh, do you have any, how do we make God funny on Dopey? And is it possible that God could help Dopey? Oh, God. I mean, if it, yeah, some sort of God layaway plan. I don't know. You know, God installments. Yeah. I, I agree. But I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think probably this is, I think this is a fair way to talk about God. It's not necessarily like knee slapping, but it's certainly interesting. And and also, like, I've heard I, – I, when I interviewed Neil Brennan on my podcast, the Male, Bo- the Male Models podcast, um, I remember – and, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, he's a brilliant comedian and helped create The Chappelle Show. He always said – you know, Dave would always say that the only thing better than a brilliant joke is an honest moment on stage. Like, people can't take their fucking eyes off honesty, especially in the world in which we live in where everyone's projecting a perfectly curated life on social media. Right. So, yeah, I think leaning into your truth and leaning into whatever you, you know, when you talk about things in an honest way, I I think it's really compelling. I think this was the most God talk on Dopey ever. So thank you for that. Yeah, I think this is the most we ever went into God on Dopey. So I appreciate that. Um, (laughs) Now, let me ask you this. You got into, into the eating stuff on YouTube, the mukbang, was that challenging for you as, as a, as a food addict? No, I mean, thankfully it's like how I can have a cigarette every now and then. Can you? Um, I can. That's amazing. When's the last time you had one? I don't know. I mean, I, I think in, in, the, in the COVID of it all, I was like, you know, probably better with an airborne pandemic that I'm not ingesting things into my lungs or putting them in a weakened state. But for years after I got sober, like, Literally after a meeting, if people were standing around smoking a cigarette, I'd bum one and just kind of chat and and could totally not buy a pack. That's amazing. So I think food, I mean, I could literally, I think I have a normal relationship with food today, which is the same as most people that I do want to eat poorly. I just don't. 
So I can plan accordingly around a, a mukbang and say, well, if I work out and I don't eat much for breakfast or dinner, this lunch, I can really take off, you know, I, I can take off the governor and, and go full throttle. Nice. And also you have, a, you have a program in place. You can do whatever you want. You know what I mean? You're totally, you're, you're by the book with this thing. So you can really, you can have a cigarette. You can, you can mukbang away and not fall into the, the despair. Yeah, I know my, you know, yeah, that's right. I know my limits and I know, yeah, the, the awareness is, is a real gift. But, but again, you know, it's like people always, always, I've heard that said before too, before they get sober, they're like, well, I'm aware. And that's the first step. I'm like, if you're aware, you're fucking drowning. and You do nothing about it. You're going under. You're going down. So spare me with your awareness. Right. I get you. It's good to catch yourself in those moments. What about people pleasing Josh Peck? How often do you succumb to that? I'm sure, you know, in ways I'm aware of and ways that I'm not, but it's also, I remember once uh, when I started going to this new acting class, my teacher who I talk about in the book for the last five years, my first class, she was like, I don't like forward energy. She's like, I don't like when you're on your toes and you're leaning forward and you're begging me to like you through your acting. She's like, stand on your fucking heels put your chest out and be a man. <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Right. And I, I try to do that in everything. I try to be enough. And, and I try to remind myself that, that I'm enough and it's hard. How, how about for you? Oh, it's, it's like, I like to pretend that I'm not people pleasing all the time, but then I find that I'm people pleasing all the time. That, that was my next question. The, am I enough question? Like I went to a meeting recently with this kid and, and we had a friend who was celebrating a year. And again, it was the, a hardcore, it was a men's meeting on Eastern Long Island in a, in, in like the back church where everyone is a fucking cop, a fireman, <laughs> a contractor. It's like, everybody is very thick. You know what I mean? Very masculine. I'm by mm -hmm. far the least masculine person in the room. And a guy shares, he had 30 years, then he relapsed and now he has like three years and he, he asks that question, am I enough? You know, and that's the, 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 the $25,000 question. And when you can answer yes, right, you're free. And it's like, and when I, when I, and then if I feel insecure or I feel people pleasing and I double back to the, am I enough? I still have to say to myself, am I enough? Like I, the, the yes is almost like, force fed sometimes because I doubt myself, you know, but the answer has to be yes in order to be free. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a practice. It's a work in progress. It's, it's contingent on like what, what I'm, what am I doing for me? And what am I doing for somebody else? I, it, it, that's the wrong order. What am I doing for somebody else? That's doing something for me. Right. Um, right. Yeah. I mean that, that somehow it took me, I'm going to, if I, if I manage to stay sober, I'll be sober seven years in August. And I've only really understood service recently. Like I never really understood it until recently. Like the whole idea of the prospector and the limitless load and that you can only keep it by giving it all away. Like I never understood it until, and I'm also finally really sponsoring some people, but just service in general, it, 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 it ties the knot of the whole thing. Yeah. And it's also, I'm such, I'm proverbial, like, I'm 
or I should say I'm perpetually waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it's really hard for me at times to be okay with like the fact that I today have a life beyond my wildest dreams, whether or not I ever win an Academy Award. Like as I stand here talking to you, my life, I'm completely overpaid. And the only way I can make sense of that is that, well, whatever you believe in God, the universe, whatever, if my job is to help people, then it's easier for me to help people with a full gas tank. Sure. Like, you know, that my life got good so I can be more equipped to help. And that's how I'm paying back how, my good fortune and why I'm the lucky ones and why you and I made it and others didn't. Like, because I could, that could, I, I could sit in a corner and drink over that. Like why we made it, why we get to talk and others don't. So the, the way I make sense of how good my life is today is that, well, it just puts me in a better position to be more helpful to others. No, I love that. And then like, what about the, the last question is what is the dream? Like you just described it. Like the dream deferred is like being able to be of service and to be happy and to be all these good things. But deep down in that locked vault inside Josh Peck, if you can pick the combination, is it, is it an Oscar? Is it, is it acting? Is it creating? Like, what is the dream of all dreams inside you? I don't know. I think, you know, it'd be to, it, it be to be on a show like succession that shoots in LA. So I know four months a year I'm working on something great. And the rest of the time I can hang out with my family. Like that would really be to me the epitome because I don't need to do this thing every day. I really like hanging out with my family and people keep telling me like, Oh, you're going to have more kids and we'll probably have one more kid. But they're like, oh, do you think you'd have three or four? Because my wife comes from this big family. And I always say, like, if I get a sitcom, right. <laughs> and I don't mean it like that, because there's a good chance I could get. But like, you know, the dream is to to have financial security, to have a big family and to be able to work on something I'm passionate about for a couple months out of the year. That would be incredible. Awards and whatever, that's bullshit. But like, if you get to do good work that you're challenged and proud of, that also happens to allow you to like you know pay for a nanny because i'm not having more than two kids without a nanny that's fucking crazy yes <laughs> yeah then then that to me is the dream well yes. that's why we've talked about this before which is why i think you should play me in the great dopey biopic that's coming i think that this okay. could be the culmination of both of our dreams if you play the Dave character in the dopey biopic, which will be way better than Succession, Josh Peck, I'm telling you. I have no doubt. I'm well, let's keep talking about it. <laughs> I'm very comfortable in that. And Josh, you are beyond generous. Dopey, dopey, dope, 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 dopey, <laughs> dopey, dopey. <laughs> so that was Josh Peck. And uh, you grew up watching Josh I Peck. I did. So like... Hug me, brother. Did it... Was it... Was it shocking to hear that he was in recovery i never knew he was in recovery um yeah never knew he was in recovery yo what the fuck is chutzpah for real do you really know what, know what chutzpah no is? idea you guys had a bunch of little jewish terms you guys exchanged okay. chutzpah, chutzpah, chutzpah is Say like chutzpah. chutzpah it's like to be bold oh. you you have tons of chutzpah, chutzpah. it's like yiddish charisma it's okay. like to be bold. I knew it was a Yiddish to, to word. Be, to be willing to go out there and, and, and say something that, 
you know, usually is exciting and fun or, or that, or they, they wouldn't expect you to say, oh, you're like Mr. When he, chutzpah. Like when he was talking about the boob joke uh, when he was right, a kid. Yeah. Right, that's why right. you said he's got the chutzpah. Right. Exactly. It's not, that's a, it's too much phlegm in the chutzpah for you. My bad. I'm I with you. What, what's your next question? The about, about uh, Josh what Beck? the fuck is a ticket? At cats. At cats. When you go to cats it's a 130, uh, four year old deli. And, oh. and the payment system is you walk in and they give you a ticket and then you walk around and you buy shit and the people at the counter write down how much you owe on the ticket. And you if you give them your ticket, you give every like if you go to get a hot dog, they'll write down how much a hot dog is on your ticket. Then they'll give it back to you. And if you get fries, they'll cross out the hot dog, add up fries and write that number on your ticket. So if you work at Katz's, you need to do math really fast in your head. Wait, wait. So I get a hot dog. Three ninety five. Boom. Yes. I go get fries. Yeah. Why do you cross out the hot dog? Because I'm adding the fries on the hot dog. And and fries when I worked there were six ninety five. So six ninety five plus three ninety five, I want to say is ten eighty. Ten eighty. You know? And uh and then you get oh. a soda there and it's two ninety five on top, blah blah blah. Wow. Yeah. My math is not good anymore. Back then I would like I was high too and I could do the math. Lit. Yeah, yeah. So that was the ticket. That's and a if skill you, in itself. If you lose the t- when oh, you yeah. leave, when you leave, some big Jewish dudes come fuck you up. No, there's no. I'm the big Jewish dude. Oh, there's all Dominican dudes. Oh shit. And and, and the door guy is is a large African American man. True. Who's just the greatest person. Nice guy. I love him. Except that he's a Nets fan. But besides that, Bro. I yeah, I love him. Uh, like and, a long term Nets fan? No, or like, no, no, a, a recently, new Nets fan. Yeah, because yeah. the Knicks were, Knicks were just so garbage yeah, yeah, that yeah. he bailed on the Knicks. Trash. And uh, and me and him, he's. if you guys go to Katz, his, his name is Ed. Shout out to Big Ed. Big Ed. Uh, I've never seen him fuck anybody up. No. And I don't even know that he could. I yeah. hope Ed doesn't. But he's like this. a fucking. He's large he's and presence. in charge. He's, he's a large. Presence. Yeah, exactly. But if you don't have the ticket, they charge you 50 bucks. A word? If you lose the ticket, uh, wait. 50, what if you have more than fifty bucks of food? They find they have cameras. They find you. They find everything. If you lose the ticket, right? If you're leaving the store and you lost the ticket, and the guy's like, "Where's your ticket?" If you're like, "I lost it," wait. You pay when you leave. You pay when you leave. I see. And Big Ed will be like, "Well, where's the fucking ticket?" And you'll be like, "Either fuck you, Big Ed," in which case you're like detained. And charged. Wow. You know, and then they're like, you can't hold me here. Wow. And then, and then they call the police and then you hold them until the police come and then you get the money out of them. Or I've seen lots of people get kind of beat up. Yeah. You know, like leaving without the the ticket. Yeah. And I've seen, I've seen, I've seen a lot of crazy shit. for a long time. I was there for a long time. But then if you're cool, Big Ed will escort you to the table. He'll help you find the ticket. If you can't find the ticket and you're cool, Big Ed will go to the kitchen and look in the look in the plates. You know, maybe the bus boys will find the wow. ticket. And if you're cool, everybody will work with you. But mm. if you're not cool, you're a dick. That's when you're gonna get the beach from Big it's, Ed. It's possible. It's possible. So but that's, that's the Big ticket. Ed. What else about Josh though? Uh, I thought uh, that was very surprising. Um, that he was an addict at all. Yeah. And that he came on Dopey. Yeah. But and then he, I was did, pumped when I heard that. But right? the, he didn't really want to bring the crazy dopey. He was doped out. He, well, he said he's you know goes to the meetings that fucking you know, sit down, shut up, like like that fucking meeting we went to with Paulie. Yeah, like I couldn't do well, it. Well, it seems like Josh Peck is working a hell of a better program than you are. That, for that's sure. for sure. <laughs> for sure. But uh, but I mean, and and you'd assume I just want to hear some 
dopey fucking shit from Josh Peck, you know? I know. Like, like I'm curious now. You he know? starts telling a couple mini dopey stories yeah. in his book, but then he's like, my mother's going to read this book. Oh, really? Uh, something like that. But but listen, Josh Peck was, was kind with his time. He was cool. Uses big fucking words. You, you don't like it when... You like it when I use big words. Yeah, Why this, do you like it when this, I use big you're words? Like a, you're my homie, so it's like big up. Like, yeah, right. my fucking my, my homie is, is smart. Yeah, but you when know? Josh... You're like, like, fuck that, dude. Fucking, what are you talking about, bro? <laughs> you know? Right. I love that. I love that. So uh, so overall, you enjoyed Josh Peck. Yeah, Josh Peck's solid dude. And, eh, solid dude. And the fact that he came through on the show is the most And he's a part. fan. You know, he's a fan. A, that's a fucking stretch. He tootled for Chris. He did tootle for Chris. He's a fan. He also listened to the Artie Lang episode. And the Artie Lang. That was interesting. He's a fan. I think he's also just, he's a pro. Yeah, like He true. finds out about something he knows about. True, true, he doesn't true, get true, caught true, off guard. He, he does his research. True. He does his homework. He's a pro for sure. He's a pro. Yeah, he's a pro. Now, I've been trying to get the story of you burning the house down on Dopey for a long Classic. time. Um, and it's funny because we were about to tell it before and then I started like Man. advertising DopeyCon. And now I'm going to advertise Dopey candles really quickly before we wow, talk. Wow, they smell so good. Jay picked up, he didn't even know we sold I them. Lit legit? Yeah, man. We're in a, a, a partnership with a company called North Ave Candle Company. And it's fire looking. And that's one of them. They have like five different candles. This one smells fire. There's a, he was like, is this the burnt heroin smell? <laughs> um, they have like... This is like lime and lemongrass. Is it? Uh, it's something. You like it? This one's fire. All right. Jay likes it. Uh, you can order it by clicking on their link on the dopeypodcast.com site, or you could just go to North Ave Candles. I'm going to grip one of these. All right, you want it? Yeah, I'm going to. I don't know about that one. I got Not, one downstairs for you. All right. Well, That's in the dopey set, but I got a candle for you. Yeah, I'll buy one. I also never fucking got you any dopey clothes. Yeah, it's fucked Do you up. want dopey clothes? Duh. You do? I need merch. If anybody wants dopey clothes, they go to dopeypodcast.com. And you can get merch. Now, Jay. Yep. We have a little bit of time left. Okay. Uh, why don't you tell that story? Bring it home? Yeah. All right. This was in... I also like the way I dicked around this show, so if people had to stay stay on the Lingers. show to hear the story. The story yeah. is... It's a solid one. Sorry, Dad. Um, shout out to Jay's dad. Shout out to my dad, dude. Oh, fuck. So this was probably... Six... I was probably 21. I was like, I was like 21, I think. Six years ago. Something like that. Maybe seven. I don't know. But, uh. The year was 2016. Something like that. 2017. Sounds, sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I was selling lots of blues. I started, I just started selling like blues, right? Are blues fentanyl pills or the no, Oxy these pills? are real perks at this, real Roxy's at this time. Now all the blues are fentanyl pills. Okay. But like back then they were legit and they were starting to get a little pricey. When you're buying in bulk, you're still you're paying like twenty dollars, twenty two dollars, even in bulk, like hundreds of them, you know. And uh, I remember I, I went with the infamous Wheeze. Yeah, shout out to big Wheeze. shout out to Wheeze. Yeah, I just came in. Have from you ever South. spent any time in Pompano Beach? Yes, yeah, a big, lot. big shout out to Pompano. A lot of time in Pompano Beach. I've been in Broward County fucking jail more times than I'd like to count. Fuck Broward County Jail. How right. many times? Like three. I'm going to fuck up your story. Three overnighters. Okay, you're with Wheeze. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I, so I was with Wheeze. The cops on me. Why do you dicks. call him Wheeze? I don't know. Ian, easy, turned to Wheezy, turned to Wheeze. You, you know? called him easy and it became Wheezy? Yeah, it became okay. Wheeze. It became Wheeze. So um, 
I remember I was looking for blues one day. This is to like a, this is a preface to the story. Okay. So like I'm looking for blues one day to sell, trying to get a couple hundred, and like I don't know where to get them, and if my guy doesn't have them, so Wheeze was was the guy, and he calls his friend, and I'm like okay, and this friend, I don't even know his fucking name anymore. Shot, smoked out, just shot. I was like okay, whatever. He's like, and we needed the blues bad. People are calling me. I I need the blues. We all need the blues bad. And uh, he's like, oh, my friend will just sell them to you, whatever. And he made me, he's like, yeah, but I, you need to give me the money. And I'll hop in the car and I'll do it. I was like, bro, no, I don't fucking do it. I don't do it. I don't do that. I don't do that. We were fighting. We were going back and forth for like an hour. And eventually I was just so sick. I was like, fuck it. You know, it's like, fuck it. Gave him the, gave the kid the blues. And this might not even, I gave the kid the blues. He gets in the car. We're at 7-Eleven on Sunrise. Gets in that guy's car, comes back in the car. I look at the bag, one look, fake. Knew it was fake. The kid wasn't in on it, I really don't think. Do you think you told this story the first time you were on the show? Maybe. No, I, I've told you this story separately, yeah, okay, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, this is the preface to, to yeah, yeah, what yeah, happened. Keep going. Please go ahead. So, so, I, uh, so one look, fake. Knew they were fake, whatever. How'd you know? Fucking one look, just the color. I could just tell. Like the this shade. Kid, yeah, the shade of blue. What was it? It was like, they were, all the fakes back then were the M boxes. Those are like the thicker ones that are easy to press because like the Vs were really a dark blue. The M boxes were like a light blue. They were like multicolored. Like I but just what knew were it. They? It was nothing that made you snort it and feel good. I'll tell you that. I, you know, like because I snorted, I know they're fake, <laughs> but, just, yeah. but you got to try it. So, um, I'm like, fuck, now I'm out, whatever it was, 4,500, whatever, a couple grand. And um, what do I do? Like, not my fault, but, you know, I got to get the money back somehow. So then I call someone that I know sells blues, and I tell them, oh, I've got these blues for sale. Uh, fucking flipping the fake blues. Flipping the flake, the flipping the flakies. Yes. <laughs> so I fucking did that. Boom. Got the money back. We're good to go. Who did you give them to? This fucking creature of a human her name was rochelle she was like blue she shout had a out, shout out to rochelle big yo she <laughs> was she had a legit like something that made her blue right and she did so much fucking blues and she was like it's like eating carrots and you turn on <laughs> exactly right. exactly um so fast forward maybe like a week later she knew i robbed her at this point you yes. know like but i needed it more than her at the time sorry not sorry. Fuck you, Rochelle. Shout out wow. to Rochelle. This, so many emotions sounds right like there. I'm feeling, I'm feeling an amend coming yeah. down the bike. <laughs> Who knows where she is? I think she got better. I don't know. But uh, no, nah, no amend. Fuck her. Because now I fucking, I, uh, I robbed her. I yes. guess she did some homework like a few weeks later, like maybe a week later. And, you know, it's not easy to find me if you're looking for me. Then especially. Now it's a little harder. But then if you're looking for me, you're going to find me. I was everywhere. Um, I fucking go in my house. I leave. I go to Wheezy's house. I go to Ian's house, and I come back to my house. And my friend Pudge, whole house is robbed, and like not just like robbed. And it's your dad's house. My dad's house. Yeah, because I. This is mind you. I moved home for a month. I was in between apartments. I was like, Dad, I need to come home for a month. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going. So I'm right in between apartments. I don't know where I'm staying. I'm like, Dad, I need to come home. I'll Why pay. didn't you have the spot? Because I lease was up at one, and I didn't have the next spot planned. So I was, I was, I was going to. And you're dealing hardcore. Hardcore. Using hardcore. Mm, snoring, 
Various drugs. Yeah, I guess you'd say using hardcore. Not as hardcore as it gets, but I was just getting hardcore. I'm sure you're using every day. Yeah. Using That's something. hardcore. Yeah, I guess. And, I mean, like, if you think about it, I mean. Yeah. Like, like, and, and but what made you go back to your dad? Because I had nowhere to go. So, like, so so I knew that I was going to move into those apartments. Right uh, ironically, right next to the precinct on Waverly, they have apartments right there. And that's where I was going to go. Uh, and the, it was never in my name because I never put anything in my name. So I'd always do it with my friends or with a girl or whatever. So my friends ended up going there, but I guess their moving date was like a month away, whatever. I couldn't, I, I had nowhere to stay. So I was like, fuck it, I have to come home for a little bit. And by the, at that time, like, it wasn't crazy for me to come home. You know, I was in and out of my house all the time. So, um, yeah, sure, cool. And at this point, maybe I haven't stayed at my house for a while. I haven't sold drugs out of my house in years, you know, so it's like. Your dad, it's I'm safe. Gonna, yeah, yeah. You know, so like, all for right. For you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for me. Exactly. So I'm like, dad, I'm moving in. Here's money for rent but for the month. But I'm staying here this month. Like, it's my apartment. Like, you know, I'm going to be in and out, whatever. So like, first weekend. How was he with that? He was cool about it. Until first weekend, whole house gets robbed, right? Not just like robbed. Shout like they to took Rochelle. Yeah, Rochelle, you bitch. I hate you. Uh, my fault. Whatever. Her fault, too. Definitely um, your fault. Yeah, but fuck her. Her fault too, but it was... Yeah. She fucking... They took the TVs. How much did she spend on the fake blues? Probably like four or five grand. Oh. Yeah. That's not good. Got her. Yeah. She, she <laughs> <laughs> Got her. Gotcha, bitch. <laughs> and so like... And, and how much did she take out of your dad's house? She recouped probably about that. <laughs> not more. So you know what's fucked up is she robbed... My sister's jewelry. She took the TVs off the walls, all the TVs. Right. She the wasn't. Only she was the thing. Soul. She must have been like, "I'm getting this motherfucker." The only thing she and didn't get, Dad, was my shit. It was in a safe, bolted to my floor in my closet, a big one. And like, you know, what do you think she was thinking when she was outside the safe? She's like, "What?" She knew where it was. She and you know how I knew it was like personal. They fucking trashed my shit. Like, they fucking, they knew they couldn't get safe up, but they trashed everything. They took, like, jelly and threw it at my, like, fucking. Jelly? What yeah, kind of jelly? Like, great fucking wow. Welch's jelly. Like, disrespectful. Disrespectful. Yeah, she was coming with heat. Not she, the artisanal strawberry jam. No, no. It's straight gutter jelly, okay. you know? So she she was coming there with a vendetta. And it might not have been her. She might have had, she probably had someone do it. She couldn't. It was definitely multiple people, though, because you can't, they were big TVs. All of them. It's a lot of work. All the shit. So my whole house is cleaned out. I right? wish we could get Rochelle on the show and we could hear the jelly part. Oh, I and wonder. Like, and, then, and then I opened up. They the kicked jar. holes in my walls. They were they they came in there. You know. Not good. Not good. Do you think they were hoping you'd be home? I don't know. No, I think they waited till I left. I think they were scoping me. Okay. You know, and uh, so they fucking whatever. My whole house gets cleaned out. Ironically, I'm the only one that didn't get robbed too bad because I had your shit was in the safe. Yeah, yeah. So like everyone else gets robbed, right? And it looked like my shit got robbed though. So it's like my dad can't. My house has been robbed like when I was a kid, like randomly. So we can't exactly say like Jay, this is your fault, you know? Because maybe it wasn't. It probably was, but maybe it wasn't. So he wasn't like get the fuck out, you know? 
he was like, how could he not say it was? He, it's like you're this known fucking drug dealer wearing the new Supreme outfits for twelve hundred dollars a pop or whatever yeah. you're doing. How do you know that? Because you always used to brag about your Supreme clothes. Yo, <laughs> he had to know. Yo, yeah, no, he knew. He knew. It. He I didn't just couldn't work. He just felt guilty, like about like beating Kick. you as a child and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So he didn't yeah, want to yeah, get yeah, upset. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, but wait, there's more. So I. Uh, this is like probably, you know, a week of me being home. Whole house gets robbed. Cool, Jay. Good job. Even though it wasn't my full time. We don't know. So now after my house gets robbed, I'm like fucking, I'm with like 10 people deep at my house. Like all the time. Because like my house just got robbed. And now we're on high alert. Is it like know? a scene from Alpha Dog at your house? Do you ever watch Alpha yeah, Dog? Alpha Dog's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. That's why I imagine you and your friends hanging out, we're smoking like, weed. Yeah, we're doing drugs and playing video Girls games. Girls dancing while yeah, you watch, watch video games and stuff. Yeah, is that what it's like? Yeah, we were, we were deep in there. We, and, and always. Like, all if, if I was home, I was, you know. Was it straight out of Alpha Dog? <laughs> fuck. Not as cool and not as good looking, <laughs> right. but like. But well, it, was, it was in there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Similar. Okay. Like, like grungy Alpha Dog, okay. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh. I'm in my room. I'm deep. I'm like eight people deep. And we're like, fuck it. We're about to go to the bar. So coat, whatever. But I think we might have went to a bowling alley or something to go because we had whatever moves to make. So from being in my apartment, that I wasn't allowed to smoke cigarettes in. I was in this like fucked up habit of like fucking cleaning my room, getting all the cigarettes together and dumping it in the fucking. I dump it in my outdoor garbage when I was in my apartment, you know, because I can't have it smelling smelling like cigarettes even though it did anyway i fucking had to make sure so i'm a, i could smoke cigarettes in my room but i was just in this habit of doing that right and, I don't, and i'm on the second floor so there's no like outdoor garbage right there you know so we're all leaving to go and there's like a bunch of us so i fucking what do i do i round up the ashtray and i fucking dump it in the garbage leave leave the house phone call like three hours later not my dad, my sister. My sister calls me. Goes, Jay, the house is on fire. I'm like, Alex. Did you think we were like fucking Rochelle? I was, she came back. I was to like, burn the house no, down? I didn't believe her. Right. I was like, no way. Like, you're wrong. That is not true. It's impossible. She goes, Jay, your room is on fire. I was like, what? Because I got like the front room to the highway, you know? So, like, that's the one they see. Like, your room's literally on fire. So I come home. Now, terrible, horrible. It's not on fire anymore, but it's like the fire didn't even do all the damage. The fucking hoses, these firemen fucking let that thing go in right, there. Right. Destroyed everything. Ruined everything. So like my whole house got robbed. And like days later, you burn it down. burned it down and ruined everything. The fucking downstairs, <laughs> the upstairs, the water was fucking. It was literally disgusting right. burn my whole house down my dad right. i come home my dad says bro you gotta go dude you what can't you stay what here he said dude you gotta go you can't stay here anymore i was like you <laughs> got it dad <laughs> no problem sorry but i fucking literally it'd be, it would have been cool if like i burned my house down a week prior right because there'd be nothing to steal right that you know been way easier. would have been so much better or she would have gone there and been like, and like i wonder who burned his house down yeah i wonder who else he robbed that yeah, just burned his exactly fucking house down. and she probably would have maybe felt bad and just left right but instead she we i got the whole thing robbed cleared out and then they burned what was left and then what was left from the burn they fucked up with the war my whole house was like condemned for like a fucking how did you fucking rebuild your relationship with your father oh I didn't for a long time. 
But how, you did now. Now like I you're did. Like building boats and hanging out. Now I, this is this is like but how did you do sailing. it? <laughs> you and your dad sailing. Yeah. How did you do it? it? Smells so You're good. copping the smell this off the candle. Dopey candle smells fucking good. Dude. Shout out to North Ave Candle Company. Yeah, they're legit. All right, good. This, uh, uh, I never did until I fucking got arrested this year for fucking the fucking half a kilo of fentanyl. You know. So how did that reunite you and your dad? So like, my mom, my mom uh, went to my apartment to get money to bail me out. Like, and she was trying to tell my dad like. Cause we can't just go there with money, you know. He's like, Dad, I'm telling my dad, like, listen, we have to get Jay out, and he's like, no fucking shot, no way, not happening. But then my mom was like, cause you read the articles, like up to twelve years, whatever. It's fucking a big deal, you know. My mom was like, listen, like if you don't get him out, like you're not gonna see him till he's like fucking th- almost forty, you know, like mid thirties for sure. And it's easier to fight cases from the outside. Everyone that's been locked up knows that. Like, it just looks better fighting it from the outside. And um, she's like, so my dad begrudgingly did it. Like, oh, shit. Like, no, this is a big deal. Like, you know, it's a lot bigger of a deal than I thought it was. So he got me out. And then I still fucked. That's when I went fucked off all the way. Because I was just depressed and hopeless. Right. And uh, really fucked off bad. But that's when he was like. You know, that's when he probably got concerned because I haven't been in New York in so long. That, like, and you he were not yourself. Yeah, exactly. I, I wasn't in you his face. You your normal joie de vivre. Exactly. What do you call that? Joie de vivre. That's a good one. What's right. that? Love of life. In what language? French. Wow. Yiddish, French. Yeah, dude. I'm like trilingual. You're right? fucking legit, yeah, dude. You know how it is. You're uh, legit. Are you mocking me right now? No, dead ass. You're legit. All right, just relax. No, nah, that was crazy. I want to go back to you the just beautiful. Just drop that like it was nothing. I. That's how I. I'm a professional fucking podcast. You are. You're legit. It's all happening. You are all the way legit. Le- okay, but you you burn your father's house. Yeah, down. so he was pissed. You, you get his his. His his house destroyed yep. by these fucko firemen who were go to our meeting. In that yeah, meeting yeah, yeah. And brag about it. Listen, you destroy everything. Mm-hmm. How? I mean, it's interesting. I literally because didn't you have talk a better, to him, but you have a better relationship with your dad now than you ever did. Ever. So how? So Why? like, I didn't talk to him for years after that. That was like the straw, basically. Like randomly, you know, like we'd speak. Like, joie you know, de vivre and chutzpah are like the same thing, kind of. Oh, is joie de vivre again? Joie, it's like love of life, and chutzpah is like the ability chutzpah. to like. Chutzpah. Let, let's let's look up chutzpah just chutzpah. for the hell of it. How do you spell it? C H. Oh, I got that. Did you hear that? C H U T Z P A, but it's Yiddish, so it probably I don't know. It's spelled in German or chutzpah. Hebrew. Let me see. Chutzpah. Chutzpah. See how I knew that started with CH? Shameless audacity and Ooh. impudence. That's you. Ooh. Not impudence, but yeah. impudence. That's good. Late 19th century Yiddish from Aramaic. Chutzpah. Chutzpah. Um, Chutzpah. But it's, it's, it's like joie de vivre is a nicer version. Anyway, so how did you rebuild the So like I fucking didn't, we didn't speak for a while and then randomly spoke. But then when I got arrested, because I, then I moved to Florida, I was literally moved to Pompano Beach. I was in there, and then shout I moved to California. Yeah, big Beach. fucking shout out, Jit. Um, that's that's a Pompano Beach slang, Jit. I gotta get my sis, my my daughter to stop saying that. Yo, that's that's some Jit slang. That's what they say down there. It was a Jit. Um, I can't. Believe, she said that watching Stranger Things with me and Linda last. What's it? Look at that Jit. Yeah, something like that. That stupid Jit. Or no, stupid. <laughs> I was like, what's going on here? Yo, shout out to Nor. 
Um, so yeah, I fucking moved, and then I didn't. And then when I moved to Florida, however many years ago that was, five maybe four, like right at, shortly after, you know. Uh, yeah, so I went to the other apartment and I had like it for I think almost a year, and I left early, and then I moved shortly after that, and then uh, I fucking came back home defeated, and then my dad probably probably feeling guilty about life things, you know, and like my my family was fucked for a while, but it was calming down. My older sister got off heroin for years, you know, like she was good. Everyone was doing well. Did you sell to her? No, never, never. Um. I think we did coke together like once, and yeah, it's a fuck story. Um, but did, yeah, was the relationship because I know your dad used to drive you to the beach meeting. Yeah, was that like a thing? Started it, kind of started it. That's like what opened the door, I guess, because like I was fucking doing better, you know. And like I, I, I blamed I don't know, like oh fucking I'm a dickhead, but I was a fucking dickhead, like you know, it's really I was. Think a about poor dickhead. Rochelle. Yeah, fuck that bitch. Take it easy. Take it easy. <laughs> anyway, so I'm glad though. I'm glad like when, better I mean, relationship I, than ever. Me, me and Jay were supposed to do something. He's like, Nah, Dave. I'm building a boat with my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Did I, is that your impression of me? Yeah, it's a very wholesome impression. No, you go, you go, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, Davy Jones. <laughs> what it be? <laughs> Davy Jones, what's happening? You do you mock me when I call you. What's happening? You see, I think my voice is really cool. I think my voice is really cool. I don't know. I don't understand <laughs> how this could have happened to me. Um, all right. Well, that's a fucking episode. What do you think? Did you have a good time? Great time. Always. Is Shout anything, out to the Dopey Nation. Is there anything you'd like to add? Um, oh, fucking Don't do shit. drugs. Stay in school. Yeah. Fucking stay in school. Don't do drugs. Mm. Fucking... Come to DopeyCon. Yo, legit. Are you excited for I'm DopeyCon? I'm pumped. Smiling Joe. Yo. Fentanyl J. It's literally. Brandon Novak. Smiling Joe is like a celeb of his own. I, I, You know he has a hat that says Smiling Joe on Does it. Does he? Wow, he really embraced that. I think somebody probably gave it to him. Probably. I'm walking down the street and there's a fucking Smiling Joe hat in his rear, in his back window. No. Yeah. <laughs> I took a picture of it. I, I'll show you later. Um... Jay, did you feel good about this episode? Great. Did you have a good time? Yeah, shout out to Josh Pack. Shout out to Josh Pack. Shout out to Scott Wick from Pompano. Oh, he's from Pompano? Yeah. Oh, shit. He's the one who thinks you shout out too often. Oh, I definitely do. I really... I, it's like when people get to hear it, maybe... You know what? I, I do it for the people. The Dopey Nation has taken to your shouting out. Didn't Josh Peck shout out He did. Lot? He did. That's so. That's where it all started. Josh Peck shout out. Yeah, he shouted out everybody. Yeah, he gave a big shout out. He did a lot of shouting. Yo, out. shout out to Josh Peck for that, dude. All right. And also, yeah, Scott Wick. Scott Wick. Yes. You're from Pompano, bro. Yes. And he's upset with the shout out. Well, he's. I think you know. I did it wrong. I did, but this is for the people. You know, what if they're listening and they get and they hear the the big shout out? Scott Wick will be at DopeyCon. I if, know that. If he's listening right now. Shout out to you, I guess. He's listening. He is, right? All right. Thank you, uh, thank you, Jay. Thanks, Dave. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. And fucking toodles for Chris. Toodles. Linda just texted me. She's downstairs. I got to take the kid to soccer. Okay. Soccer oh. is important. Yes. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad.
Bad desire's all I ever had And I wanna take a ride up in the sky Watch this aeroplane just pass me by And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive But I wanna be good so bad Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand Shadow's getting smaller and smaller And it's time to where I stand they paid any mind when I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds because peace and love are very 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 hard to find and I wanna be good so bad wanna be good so bad so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I wanna call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I wanna call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had